up who wants to die? Welcome to, do we know what episode this is? Hey, hey, definitely. <laughs> Welcome to the 8th episode of Best Horse Podcast with Doug, Jacob, and, and Hugh. We've got a triumvirate today. Welcome, Hugh. So, Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's not uh, participating in the uh, weekly ritual or monthly ritual of the uh, Scotch, which tonight is uh, Ardbeg and Aberlore. Looks like you need a refill there. Yeah. Um, whilst you're refilling, um, the reason we have Hugh here and the reason we're doing this at this time in general is because the World Cinema Showcase. Um, do you want to give a brief recap of what it is for people who don't know? Sure. Um, it starts on Thursday. It comes around every sort of early autumn. Uh, usually it's in April, but this year it's a little bit earlier, starting in March. Um, and it's run by the film festival. So it's essentially the very same people who choose the films at the film festival pick a selection of stuff um, that has not come out yet, that either like they couldn't fit in the film festival or they wanted to show again, like they bring a couple of things back that they couldn't... Uh, that haven't got distribution, and it's just it's just like a, a more sort of boutique film festival. It's smaller, it's a lot shorter. It's only like a week and a half, I think, on average in most cities. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that's that's basically it. It's, it's a treat, a, really. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's like because it's been a while festival. since the film festival finished in August. Yeah, yeah. Um, it almost feels like it follows on pretty quickly. You know, you, you kind of think. Yeah. Suddenly I guess that's because we kind of have summer and, and then, really and watch then it. And yeah, then yeah. it's festival. And yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a nice reprieve, actually, from all the yeah. Hollywood stuff that's raining down upon us at the moment. And um, with that uh, in mind, we've got... Uh, there's about 35 or 40 films playing it, and usually, like, when we did our film festival thing, it was mostly us ha- making wild-ass guesses about what we might like to see. <laughs> um, but somehow it's worked out that between the three of us in this room, we've seen no less than 14 of these films. So we're going to try to get through these in record speed so that you're not listening to this four hours from now. Um, we're hoping to get under 15 minutes. <laughs> see how it goes. I've only got an hour 45 in the memory card. We'll hope for the best. Um, <laughs> and we'll start with one that will probably take ages to talk about that all three of us have seen, Margaret. We do need to talk about Margaret. We do, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, so Background, Hugh? Background, sure. We should, we should set up the background for people who don't quite know what the deal is with this film. Basically... It was shot up by a guy called Kenneth Lonergan, who made a film in 2000 called You Can Count On Me, which was a really nice little American indie with Laura Linney and Mark Ruffalo as brother and sister. Um, and in 2005, he shot this film in New York City called Margaret with Anna Paquin. She doesn't play a character called Margaret. She plays a character called Lisa, who is a high school student. She's 17, and she witnesses an accidental death. Uh, someone gets run over by a bus and Lisa is cradling this woman in her arms as she dies. Um, And the film had a really troubled post-production history. Um, It went through... I don't know how many cuts it went through, but I know that Martin Scorsese and Thelma Schoonemaker, um, his editor, I hope I said her last name right. Schoonemaker, but anyway. Schoonemaker, okay. (laughs) There we go. Um, I know they had a go at it, and I know they are very supportive of the current cut, which is 150 minutes long, which is what you'll see in the World Cinema Showcase. Uh, I think Fox Searchlight, the distributor, would have liked a shorter <laughs> version of the film. Is yeah, that... the the, sto- the story behind it is basically uh, Lonergan was contractually obligated to deliver a 150-minute film, mm-hmm. uh, and he could not figure out how to get it under three hours, which is why 
all of these people were brought in. Mm. Um, assuming the cuts, um, the print I saw, I saw it back in October in the States, and uh, the print actually had 2008 referenced in the credits, which is I, mm. it makes me suspect the version that was released was actually one that's been sitting on the shelf that's a compromise well, like four, version, three, or they just tag those credits onto whatever was reached. Cause, um, right. And it's, it's actually a really... For, the, for those who wonder what why we bother talking about film, it's kind of a heartwarming story because it could not have been less loved by its distributor. Yeah. It was dumped in a theater and uh, it was consigned to death. Um, nobody it was, it saw was, not it. Only was it. Not only was it not marketed, but it basically wasn't released. It was anti-marketed almost. Yeah. Like, like there was it a was, Fox it was essentially just Twitter. buried yeah. entirely. And there was a campaign on Twitter by a bunch of New York and L.A., Critics. Uh, Jamie Chrisley was the guy who started that. And, yep, uh, yeah. yeah, and th- and that's um, really helped it get the prominence that it has today. Yep. Yeah. And it's probably it's part possibly of the reason, the reason we're seeing it in this showcase. It went to the point where, where a couple of um, kind of independent theatres in LA and New York um, just, you know, how did Fox to get prints to play? Mm, yeah. Because they weren't being offered them. Yeah, and, Karina Long was yeah. the other thing in the other yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. It's said, like, this well, is give, the best film. How much do we need to pay you to get You can't see Yeah. And 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 I know they started to run. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the place, and I think it's in LA. Um, and uh, it, it played for a few weeks, and then uh, got some traction. So mm. they they yeah. kept extending the season. Um, I think it's finished now, but it was it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Off, off the back of a Twitter campaign, and 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 so basically, I think his director's cut is due on DVD in May. I in the think. states, in the states, yeah, <laughs> in the states, yeah, uh, and on the internet, but we're not. <laughs> In the states, and it's going to be roughly what three, three and three quarter hours, three and a half, something like I, that. I haven't so heard. I haven't heard a final um, duration on it. Okay, yet, so I've I got think... a little bit of background from an interview I saw with um, Lonigan. Uh, it, actually, it was a panel interview with a bunch of people um, on why the film expanded so <laughs> much. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things he said he was interested in was uh, in a film. Usually, it's driven by um, key protagonists and their part in the narrative, and so you'll get a bit of their story. Um, maybe in a bit of their background, uh, but essentially, um, what's shot and what's shown is what's um, relevant to the action. But the rest of their life is left either just referenced or or not touched. Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to make a film where people's lives were included um, in a in a more full way. So mm-hmm. um, there's the bus driver um, story, a key plot. He's played and, by Mark Ruffalo, yeah. who, come, who comes back and and and, yeah. and uh, Anna Paquin's Lisa's characters sort of trying to deal with her her own sort of um response to that and and then how she deals with that is kind of the key mm. kind of um plot of the film mm. and narrative drive but he wanted to show aspects of her life completely irrelevant to that so her time in school her yeah. time with friends and so, so you end up over the, over yeah. the two and a half hours you have this massive like beautiful character yeah and so this is this wonderful becomes, unfolding of people yeah. in this film that isn't related to uh, the specific plot drive, which is reasonably succinct, actually. Um, yeah, but, I mean, but, if you made a film just about her having witnessed the bus crash, and it's just and her, her and response bus driver, it, yeah. and her response mm. to that alone, it would have been, yeah. it would have been probably kind of all right, and we never would yeah. have seen it because it just would. So he said that come. blew it out, but then he said it kept blowing, or well, it kept getting more full because he wanted to not just do it with her, but with supporting characters, yeah. um, who you normally would only see in relation to the protagonist and that was it mm-hmm. whereas he really wanted you to see them and other parts of their life as well yeah so um, you have you have the dead woman's yeah. best friend um, and you have 
You have a couple of her school teachers. You have Matthew Broderick as one of her school teachers, yeah. and Matt, Matt Damon, Damon as one of her school teachers. Um, and the interaction they have with her, and uh, a couple of her school friends make an appearance, and are slightly more, slightly more well-rounded than yeah. they might have been otherwise. Not and just, you see perhaps the life of her mum and her work, her mum's work life, which and, is then, and then the, the most fascinating relationship she has yeah, with um, with a Latin American dude who's actually played by Jean Reno. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who has one of the one of the most fantastic scenes I think for me in the film. The, the, the restaurant scene. Yeah, the yes, restaurant scene. yes. Which one is that? The restaurant uh, scene. Oh yeah, the yeah, argument. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's it. Uh, I think both the people who love Margaret and both the people who have issues with it would agree that it's a messy film in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, the, the cut, the cut that yeah. we've all seen now, the 150 minute cut, is there are different you can, parts you, that you, are there, are, there are demarcations yeah. where stuff has has been ripped out. Yeah, and it's pretty annoying to have yeah. to be like something was meant to happen there that felt like an uncomfortable jump to the next. Yeah, I also story, I also but... found that within scenes as well. I, as a I mean, as yep. an editor, I found some of the picture cutting to be very whoa. That's really yeah. This is yeah, like what and Jake and I were talking about after after we saw it, but like, that was a really strange edit. And yeah, that was a strange. Edit. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's there's points where it's like they're in. There's a great scene. Um, there's bits of what's a great scene with Kieran Culkin as uh, yeah, the yeah. stoner sure, boyfriend, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the sexual experience that unfolds. And they have multiple cuts to get time pass, and they use the same shot of the street twice as covering. And it's just one yeah. of those, like, you know, six years, and you can pay somebody a couple <laughs> bucks to go go out to uh, New York one night and get another shot of a street. <laughs> <laughs> a slightly um, different angle, maybe? But, which, yeah. is a, which is a minor quibble. I mean, it, it's a film I strongly recommend. Yeah. However, having said that, I almost fled the cinema when I saw it. Um, mm. Because the strength of Anna Paquin's performance of a teenage girl who is full of righteousness and conviction that she's right and not caring about ruining other people's lives in the process of trying to fix that is so uncomfortable. And I was just She's not a likable character at all. You can't really... No. I mean, and it's... that's. Possibly part of the brilliance of that performance is that, and it's hard. She to, remains so hard edged the at, whole way through. At the and, distance yeah. of age as well, like um, yeah. Doug and I are a little more distance than you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little more. I've got quite a lot of grey hair, but um, but it's it's <clears throat> you've got much more experience of of the world and of dealing with situations and and realizing that things are a little more complex than perhaps yeah. her character is able to process or or, or is processing. Um, or even being able to see outside your own situation a little mm. more mm. to sort of see the, a broader picture of things. But yeah, her um, her performance is so compelling. It's fantastic, but it's it is really it's difficult to watch at times. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I mean it's it's a coming of age story, and in general, it's, yeah. that's often something that I have trouble with of people going through those awkward times of life. And yeah. it's I mean it's a testament mm. to Lonergan's writing and specificity of all his characters as to how much you get to see of their humanity and how and how mm. even those horribly awkward moments there's a bit where um uh involving the word strident which <laughs> yeah. is, is, is a fantastic argu- yeah, argument yeah, scene in yeah. the film we'll just say the yeah. word strident to leave it yeah, at, yeah. at that um but uh you'll know the scene when you see it yeah. but it takes what could have been um i suppose 
um, a very or very paint by numbers actresses yelling at each other kind of scene and just to the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, totally, it, yeah. it yeah. allows them to pull all their passion into it, yeah. but instead of cringing at it, you're just remarking at the specificity of well, it. I know I'm going to step on some toes here, but. Um, Taste-wise, but um, for me, this is the kind of film, on, like on a on a scale, a drama scale, um, and probably a kind of a a, rained, a random plot, but a, a broad-ranging drama. Um, that for me, something like I Am Love, which I really had issues with, um, and uh, Kings and Queen, uh, Christmas Tale, Christmas Tale. Mm-hmm. Um, see those, I I didn't mind them. I didn't mind Christmas Tale. I Am Love, not so much for me, um, but this was the same kind of scope of drama for me, but I loved it. This is this is the kind, this is how I would like to see those things play out. Not that they're the same film or same... But no, but it has that kind it has of that, slightly... It has that grand scale of drama, not human drama. Swirling, but kind yeah. of... Yeah. Grand scale of human drama in a reasonably confined situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but for me, this was so much more uh, believable and comfortable... Yeah, it's yeah, much I more think, naturalistic. Whereas yeah, I, it's, it's I am a, love is such a is so interested in the constructs of the melodrama, yeah. and it's all mm. in quotation marks. And I loved I am love. Yeah. I mean, I just I absolutely loved it. But um, yeah, I, I think in terms of something much closer to naturalism, um, yeah. with tempered with a little bit. I mean, there is a bit of theatricality in the writing. Yeah. Lonergan is a playwright as well. He's done oh, several. Yeah. Um, plays, yeah, and, and uh, we, should, we should also through. mention he stars in Margaret as the father. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, stars is a bit, but he, well, he's, he's, star, he's in five yeah, minutes. Yeah, he, but, uh, yeah. Oh, he's, no, no, he's, 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 he's coming back. There are yeah, multiple yeah, phone yeah. calls with him. He's he's in California. She's in New York, and he calls her up, or vice versa. She calls him up, and you know, asks for advice with the general situation she's going through, and the boyfriend thing with Karen Culkin, and what have you. Um, and I think he adds kind of an interesting perspective and not, not not perspective uh, an interesting something else that, you know you, well i think it's another one of those things if you cut his character out it wouldn't be the same film yeah well because i think it, it's that whole thing of like he's saying that he actually is interested in in support characters and filling them out somewhat um, yeah and this is a and, very yeah, well filled out because he, he, could, he yeah. could have been just like a sounding wall for her um, but he, he act- could have he could have he even appeared be- on screen. He could yeah. have just been a voice on the other end of the telephone. But he's an, and- actually a character in his own right who has his own issues, and he brings that into the mm. narrative, which is kind of. This is going to cool. be a weird comparison, but I'm thinking of the Bechdel test right now, which you know, there's always <laughs> yeah. the, the classic Bechdel <laughs> test of do women exist in a film only to be supplementary to a woman, and what that's really or to, a man. to a man, excuse me, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, that's um, another kind of victim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, <laughs> we're not going there. Uh, but um, what um, that's really getting at is that in most films, there are characters whose only purpose is to be there for the other person, and yeah. and that's like what's remarkable about Margaret is I can't mm-hmm. think of a single character that you don't have a sense of, even like you know just the cops at the station or you know it's like they have some kind of yeah, the, larger the, the, existence because she runs up being against... a functionary for our protagonist which mm. is very rare and very exciting yeah then none of them are one note stereotypes no and what? and the really fascinating thing about the scope of the film is that he's able to get into all the bureaucracy that she runs up against she has these discussions these long discussions with lawyers yeah um, yeah yeah which are really fascinating and 
they seem like they could be accurate. Like they, they could be yeah. real discussions with quite sort of feisty lawyers yeah. on either side of the conversation. And she's there and she's trying to get her two her two cents in, and they're just arguing with each other the whole time. And she has this thing with the cops where she yeah. goes back to them and at one point wants to adjust the initial report she gave them. And uh, that that whole thing, that whole sub section yeah, yeah. of the film is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, probably, it's, it's a film that I think yeah. people need to see. Uh, it would be a shame for it just to sort of do its few days and so few people get to see it. It would be a major shame. Although, on the other hand, I would be very surprised if it came back after the festival. Yeah. Which is all yeah. the more reason, of course, yeah, to go to and see, see it in yeah. these handful of sessions that... that, that uh, you know, being given to it here. It would definitely um, be in my, um, if there are five films to see in this thing, it would be in it for oh, sure. Top of the list, yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. It needs to be seen. I think stylistically it's quite interesting. I was reminded quite a lot of Two Lovers, James Gray's film. Don't know it. You don't know it? I know, I'm aware of its existence, but I haven't seen it. I've okay. seen We Own the Night, but I haven't seen Two Lovers. Okay, well, um, anyone out there listening who's seen Two Lovers, it has, it's not quite the same, same sort of classical filmmaking style to it at all. It's much more naturalistic, much more like American indie type thing yeah. going on, but it has that same feeling of New York. And it's a film as much about Anna Paquin's character, Lisa, as it is about New York itself. Yeah, it's, And there are these beautiful moments where it becomes a city symphony and it just goes on for... It's, it's an interesting dichotomy with the film that it's such a grand scale sort of piece of drama, but it's very localised and that it's the Upper East Side... And, it, and it's really mostly there, and it's mostly people from that neighbourhood. I mean, there's a few people mm. from outside. Like, when she goes to visit the bus driver, and he comes from a different part of town. And, exactly, yeah. He's um, in, and, it's, and she's he's out in of New her, Jersey she, or something yeah, like that. She, 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 she feels totally yeah, out, of her, yeah. out of her element. Yeah. Um, but the rest of it is sort of circling around the small area. But it's, it's shot it's shot really nicely. Um, mm. and the edit has issues, but I mean, some of the um, some of the shooting of the city is... Yeah, editing aside those, those city sequences, there are a lot yeah. of... Um, slow motion sequences in the city of her walking through crowds of traffic and that sort of thing um, building skylines yeah just amazing amazing stuff and um, if you're still on the fence you can always go rent You Can Count On Me which I think is um, which is actually, a very good introduction to Lonergan as a filmmaker and you can see his progression from that to Margaret I watched You Can Count On Me like a week after I'd seen Margaret about a month ago and yeah he it's yeah, it's, I, it's, I, I saw it theatrically because yeah. I'm old, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I loved You Can Count on Me because it was coming at a time where you know there are a lot of films like Happiness, and so it was like which were yeah. you know bitterly ironic in their titles, and um, I expected You Can Count on Me to be kind of that, and um, it, kind of, it hits this much more yeah. nuanced um, space where it, it, even though there is some darkness or you know undercurrents to the the title and, and there is it is nice actually a comedy as well but it's also yeah. this really nice touching film about yeah. yeah it's it's again it's that kind of nuanced thing that he does in margaret but margaret yeah. has this additional layer of being so big in scope yeah and you know cool um we should move on because yeah. otherwise if we talk 20 minutes about every <laughs> film uh we'll hit the uh, limits of uh, modern technology uh coriolanus i have not seen you two guys have uh no, shakespeare oh, refines actually uh and is that not true uh no we have seen it but it's uh we can't really talk about it we, we can, can we can we can mention it, it. and reviews are embargoed so i can't yeah. go and write 2000 words yeah, about yeah. it, and put uh, okay. it online but um i liked it quite a lot uh it's it's 
You can talk about the script, right? Because that's been out since 1600. Yeah. Like, have you seen the play? I've never. No, never. I haven't. Done. No. I know um, they did it at university, Summer Shakespeare, a few years back, but. Okay. Um, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's fairly easy to see why it hasn't been filmed before. It's, yeah. It's, it's quite possibly his only play that hasn't been filmed, I think. The only Shakespeare yeah. play that hasn't been turned into a film. And. Um, it's a really interesting political. Tra- I mean, yeah. I don't know. So it's it's the debut um, directorial um, uh, effort from um, Ralph Fiennes, who also stars in it, um, and and the supporting cast is incredible. Yeah. Jessica Chastain, yeah, yeah, Vanessa Redgrave, yeah, yeah, Vanessa Redgrave, um, fantastic. Um, and and he takes a pretty straight, serious kind of line to it. It's got a very the aesthetic is almost um, is very much kind of a, a Balkan War sort of. Yeah, we should mention that it's not actually. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not. It's, it's not period. Not, it's period almost. Almost like a, like the Balkan Wars. It's like it's like nineties war zone, right? Um, aesthetic. Really. Yeah, it's, it's very slightly dystopian. So is he yeah, 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 slightly dystopian. No. Um, slightly kind of. Uh, um, Ever so slightly sci-fi, but that that sci-fi isn't quite the right term. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's almost like nineteen eighty four-ish. I'm quite surprised because yeah, yeah. the poster had kind of like a painted face on it. And I was almost expecting Braveheart. Right. Kind of. Yeah. It's got more of a kind of a 1984 vibe. Okay. Sort of edge to it, um, but yeah. but in a in a in a very kind of like you can see it would be straight out of um, out of a Bosnia conflict sort of look and setting, mm-hmm. but uh, but the language is is keeping to um, the Shakespearean. Cool. Yeah, the language doesn't change at all, but um, definitely, definitely recommended, and it's coming out what in May or something like that. Yeah, it's like, intense. Yeah. It's very good. So if you yeah, if you miss it here, you'll have another chance. Yeah. But uh, as always, support our friends. <laughs> um, Color Wheel. Now you've seen this I one. It's a Color black Wheel. and white American indie. The, the final credit says the final credit says filmed on sixteen millimeter Kodak black and white stock. <laughs> and Kodak does Kodak even exist anymore? That's kind of. Uh, I, they do, but, I think. They, so they're, 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 they're working with materials that Could most people around. don't work with. Yeah. Could have been sitting around um, for five years or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, made by a guy called Alex Ross Perry, who I don't know anything at all about. Um, but it is essentially Mumblecore. Um, and it kind of... it, it either you'll, you'll, you'll like it if you like Mumblecore. If you don't like Mumblecore, you... Should well, we do the quick Mumblecore primer? I'm going to love it. Give people yeah, okay, um, so um, Andrew Bajowski is probably the biggest name. Yep, um, started in about 2002. Yeah, so Funny Haha, um, uh, Mutual Appreciation, yep. and more recently, Beefwax. Maybe talk more about the stuff. I mean, basically it's like not, non-professional yeah, actors, non-professional usually actors, very naturalistic, um, a lot of dialogue. amateurish yeah. at times. Heavily dialogue. Um, so the alternate name for Mumblecore is Slackavitties. Yeah. Uh, John Cassavitties. Um, and it's made generally by... Uh, kind of Brooklyn yeah. hipsters, basically. <laughs> yeah, let's it's, be it's kind of like that's where it came from. It's, except, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like about really... their friends. And um, if you saw of Cold Weather in last year's World Cinema Showcase, that is essentially a kind of mumblecore film. Because yeah, the same guy who made slightly that. different. And sort of Aaron Katz has made yeah. a couple, but that's Aaron that's getting that, that was fantastic. Quiet City and Dance Party USA, which yeah, is my yeah. favorite mumblecore. Films. I haven't seen um, Dance Party, but Quiet City I liked a lot. But Cold Weather had that whole. Um, Sherlock Holmes, yeah, kind of yeah, bringing yeah. a lot Cold more weather is, is strong like a genre, yeah. Film, yeah, which is a really fascinating thing to do with it. Um, if anyone has seen Greenberg, Greta Gerwig, who is in Damsels in Distress, oh. still in his new film, 
comes out of the Mumblecore tradition. Yeah. Was that your Greta Gerwig side or your, your uh, I didn't like Greenberg side? That was my I didn't like Greenberg side. Oh, wow, that's a discussion for another Gerwig. time, but yeah. oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Greta Gerwig came out of it, and it's, it's essentially just a handheld cameras, people yeah. mumbling about Or rather, problems. a lot of dialogue. Joe Swanberg, we haven't mentioned, he puts out like four films a year, then none of them have I made I think he did here. six last year. Yeah, that's yeah. quite possible. Yeah. Um, I think I like it because it reminded me of my university day, sitting around with my friends at Flats, yeah. talking about shit. It's essentially white people mm. problems, the movie genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did, which, you see, did you yeah. see Beeswax a couple of years yes, ago? Yes, I did. Yes. I know so many people who were angry about that film. I wasn't angry, I just didn't like it as much as I liked his previous films. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had this yeah. discussion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, none of which brings us any closer to the color wheel. The color uh, wheel. Don't is... spoil. Don't spoil. I really. The want color wheel. Oh no, there's, yeah. there's, I can quite quite easily avoid spoilers. It's a brother and sister. Uh, she has broken up with her professor boyfriend. She was she was at university in New York, I think NYU <laughs> or something like that. Going out with her journalism professor, she Which dropped was. out of class and broke up with him, or he broke up with her. Yeah. And she goes to get her brother, who's kind of just aimlessly drifting through life, and they go on a road trip to go to New York, get her stuff out of his apartment, and move back home. And it's just about... It's it's kind of a road movie, in a way. But it's more about their dynamic, and it gets more and more interesting as the film goes on. It's only about 85 minutes, so it's not... I mean, most Mumblecore films are about that length. They're not uh, deep character studies or anything like that. It's all about natural or naturalistic interaction and that sort of stuff mm. um and yeah like i said if you've if you've seen any mumblecore films in the past you'll like it i know people who don't like mumblecore tried to watch the first 10 minutes of this and walked out of the room so if you're averse to the to the genre um you'll be averse to this but if you like it you'll like it yeah, and there's a couple films that we've mentioned too. <laughs> you know, in your abundant spare time between now and yeah, when the yeah, yeah. showcase starts. Um, Already at Brother uh, is the opening film, actually. Um, which Does that mean it's getting another release after this, or no? I wouldn't have thought so, because it's been so long. Like, I think it was slated for release here sometime in February. Right, I don't know if it was just because it got delayed by the... Um uh, cinema showcase that it's been delayed, but uh, could have been. I, I mean, saw it in August in the states. Exactly. So, so it, came out, it's, yeah. it came out in the states a long time ago. Um, it's kind of. I mean, I haven't seen it, but from yeah. what I understand, it's kind of a kind of a stoner comedy. Is that um, accurate? Well, so not. I wouldn't call it a stoner comedy in the classic sense. I mean, the char- the main character, Paul, is played by Paul Rudd, is very definitely a stoner. There's no questions about that. Um, and uh, the mo- loser kind of stoner. He actually. Um, gets arrested after the end of the first scene for selling pot to a cop who is in uniform. Um, and um, so he's a bit of a mess. He comes, he basically, it's like he's a bit adrift, so he lives with his sisters over the course of the film. Uh, Zoe, Zoe Deschanel, Elizabeth Banks, and Emily Mortimer. Emily Mortimer, yes. Yeah. Um, and proceeds to depending on how you look at it, improve or destroy their lives in spectacular fashion. And Rashida Jones, is she one of the sisters? Or is she no, she's uh, Zoe Deschanel's girlfriend. Um, so that's... Uh, so that's um, that. Yeah, so... Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's... Um, and Steve Coogan is Emily Mortimer's uh, boyfriend. I forget, there's... Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but Elizabeth Banks has... Adam really... Scott! Isn't Adam Scott? Is he in it? Isn't he Elizabeth Banks... 
like guy so, that's not quite a boyfriend that hangs out and uh, he's not in the cast list. I'm, pr- here, I'm pretty but... sure that Adam Scott's in it. Huh? Um, that's my recollection of it. I'm sticking to it. Okay. Um, uh, who is uh, one of the Adam most Scott's un- great? Yeah, I, yeah. I, love Adam Scott so I mean, if anyone hasn't seen Party Down, then. Um, you should check that out and just enjoy the uh, magic of Adam Scott and uh, it's the most recent series of Parks and Recreation. Step Brothers, go and see Step Brothers because yeah. that is just ridiculously good. Um, or Piranha 3D. I mean, that also exists. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting choice because um, it's it's an not it's not, night, it's yeah, not it's a not challenging a, movie. It's, no. it's 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 a very pleasant. Well, I think it's hardly a prestige art house film, but I think the I reason think, it's getting yeah. headline release is just because it's been so long since, since yeah. it came out in the states, and people have probably forgotten about having heard about it back then. Yeah. And it's just solid. It's a really solid. You'll laugh. You'll have a bit of an emotional reaction. Yeah. Um, it it was never in any danger of a top ten movie for me, but it's a it's kind of the quintessential a good night out without feeling embarrassed yeah you know that i'm really looking um, forward to it I, yeah yeah so am i because yeah i mean i, I wouldn't mind get, festival yeah. time I, I see so many dark or serious kind of or hard work films yeah. that yeah it's actually really good to see some i think one of the not ones so hard work films that are good yeah know? i think one of the ones you and i saw on a whim at last year's festival that we really liked was terry yeah yeah um in that same kind of vein yeah maybe that was not quite the same as this that was a lot more heartfelt but that's yeah. the kind of thing you're talking about. The kind yeah, of yeah. It's it, it, it's it's a really well made film, well acted, well great film. plot. Um, yeah. but it's not, you know, you're not you're not sitting there kind of intellectually analyzing the thing or or, yeah. or trying to figure out what the hell's going on, or trying to stop yourself from trying to figure out what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So that's um, that's opening night in Auckland, yeah. and I think possibly elsewhere as well. Yeah. Although these yeah. programs haven't been. And it plays, fr- yeah, it plays, it plays Friday as well. So there's because uh, the opening night's a bit more expensive, but you get drinks or what have you. Um. Speaking of last year's festival, while we're working our way through uh, the drama stuff that we've seen, uh, we have talked on this program before. Once upon a time in Anatolia. Yeah, there's, there's, two, uh, there's two returnees from festival last uh, film festival um, 2011. I think three. three. Two yeah. that I two that I was aware of, although I didn't have a Anatolia good beats Rhymes and Life, life. and. No, two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's usually three, but oh, this year the other one two. that's coming back that's been on before elsewhere is um, Chico and Rita. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, yes. An animated film that was in the Spanish Film Festival. Last oh, okay. Yes. And, so there and, are three that are yes. coming back that have played, played. before. Yeah, yeah. And yes, Madame Sir played the festival in 2009. Right. Anyway, less train spotting, more Anatolia. Nuri Bilge Ceylon, the antimatter CSI. Um, <laughs> it, really, it really is, for, I think, for people who dig slow cinema. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, for, for people who are completely unfamiliar with it, it's a police procedural. Sure, yeah, but, um, but but don't think. <laughs> but, but it's it's not. It's so you know undulating, slow moving, wide ranging. Yeah, yeah it, it's fantastic. It was one of my faves last year. Um, I loved it. Mine as uh, well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a very spacious film, um, beautifully shot. Um, referencing a yeah, lot wonderfully, of wonderfully atmospheric, and it's a solid two and a half hours, but it's definitely worth it. And it's a love story to Anatolia, you... where he comes from, basically. Yeah, and and, and I think um, once upon a time in Anatolia, as a construct, is used by um, Ceylon to uh, to sort of section out the film. Each major character in this this group of cops, lawyers, state officials, and convicts has their fifteen minutes of their story. Yeah, really quickly, just so I mean, the concept in yeah. a nutshell is it follows a police investigation over a night and the course of the next morning, mm-hmm. um, because they've got somebody who's confessed to a murder, yeah. but they can't 
find the body, body. and he yeah. can't quite remember where it is. Yeah, and Anatolia consists of all these rolling uh, hillsides that yeah. have rocks that all kind of look the same. <laughs> the same. I think it's something near uh, that fountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and, um, and so they, the, the first what first hour and a half of the film is just almost real time as they go yeah. through the middle of the night in this t- in the back of this police car and he's <laughs> Yeah, well, they stop for like, dinner now and again. Yeah, they, they stop it's and pretty, they have yeah. a lot of um, meandering conversations about, you know, their home lives and yeah. everything else. And yeah, there's this yeah. beautiful scene in the middle where they they stop for dinner and the yeah. lighting and everything is just... And it's it's the sort of film that if you see it at all, mostly because of its length, but also just because it's such a beautiful looking film, you need to see it at the cinema. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah definitely. This would Big screen. On anything smaller than a cinema screen. Yeah, yeah I mean, there, there's two ways to talk about it. One is just the beauty and the slow cinema of it. But for me, there is also this element that happens, um, and I suppose this is kind of a spoiler, but um, there's a point where you have everybody sitting around, standing around, and they're, you know, they're doing the classical thing that they do, you know, once you've found a crime scene. Yeah. And you realize that every time you've seen this scene in a movie you know the two cops who are in front and there's just all these bodies behind them of people standing there and you don't know who they are. And so you literally know everybody who's in there. Yeah. You know who, there. who's got digestive problems. Who's, <laughs> exactly. Who's yeah, got, yeah. you know, who's got trouble with, at home. Who's got yeah. um, something that they're supposed to be doing and they're in who trouble because really they've been be staying out, <laughs> out late. Um, and, and that's why I call it the antimatter CSI. It's like for good and bad. It's yeah. the exact opposite of that kind of thing, but and I do think it has the ap- ability to appeal to more than just the slow cinema oh, audience yeah. in the sense that it has that kind of grounding as opposed to sort of something perhaps slightly more esoteric like the Turin horse, oh yeah, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, I I yeah, felt, it's definitely yeah. accessible slow cinema. I felt I felt I that it went on uh, a bit too long at the end when it be, it's it. My friend had the exact same. What reaction, was a yeah. sprawling mosaic and tried to condense it into. a sort of a single story thread of one of the characters. Um, but Tried to wrap itself up in a neat yeah. little package at the end and didn't quite... Yeah, I'd be curious to see if I'd have that reaction yeah. on a second viewing. Um, I don't think so. I, I very much felt that way. But I, you know, I've, I admitted when I was wrong about Drive on a first viewing, <laughs> and I, I could be wrong about this film as well. And, like, if nothing else, it's a two and a half hour... Yeah. Glorious postcard from a beautiful part of the world, yeah. mm. and if you can't enjoy it on that level, then you might as well just stay home and watch Short One Street. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with Short One Street. Blah blah blah. Um, before we go into uh, the documentary section of the festival, uh, there's one other narrative feature that's coming f- to us from the distant past. Uh, that uh, Das Boot, um, which is a uh, Wolf, is it Wolfgang Peterson's debut? Uh, it's certainly oh, a very sure. early Wolfgang Peterson work that was originally yeah. a, if we've got this right and uh, uh, we implore all the uh, Best Worst Podcast fact checkers to uh, check in uh, it was originally a five or six hour miniseries for German TV that was released in the 80s uh, 1981 I think as a two and a half hour theatrical version um, I actually saw it in the mid 90s in Texas they released a 207 minute kind of extended theatrical cut that was neither the theatrical version nor the miniseries. And uh, now it's playing here in its original theatrical cut of two and a half hours. Um, And it's a great uh, character-driven, claustrophobic submarine World War II movie from the point of view of 
German soldiers in a U-boat. Mm. Um, and the screenings here, we should mention, are being introduced by the composer. Yeah, who I think maybe also be doing a uh, workshop as well. He's come here for workshops. Because he also did the score yeah. for Neverending Story. Yeah, I'd heard that. And presumably other things as well. uh, (laughs) Yeah, so if you've ever had uh, questions about the uh, links between Das Boot and Neverending Story, the the man that you want to get the answers from will be in the country. Um, But yeah, I think uh, again, it's it's perhaps not the traditional um, fair. I mean, Wolfgang Peterson certainly went into much, uh, you know, what Poseidon and. In the Line of Fire was his, I think. That was his as well? Okay. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Perfect Storm. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, there, yeah, there's, oh, there's yeah. a whole, you know, whole Air Force One. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's interesting to look well, back at I've seen at a some... few Peterson films, <laughs> <laughs> You are a tourist. <laughs> We've all seen them. He just knows which ones are Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if I can fit it in, I'm looking forward to giving it another look on the big screen. Because again, it's... Um, I know, there's just something of that element of scale of them being trapped in that space with them, and I really dig submarine movies. It's a it's a small genre, but um, um, there is that whole just um, claustrophobia yeah. mm. of that um, that works really well for me cinematically. You've seen it, right, Hugh? That's I about ten years ago I watched I think the two and a half hour version, so I yeah. think I've seen the theatrical cut, but. Yeah, and Jacob, have you did you ever watch it? I have. I, f- I can't remember. Um, yeah. If it was, if I have, it would would have been when I was quite young. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I have. But I yeah, I I don't really remember. I mean, I've got sort of scattered memories of of submarine films, <laughs> of war films <laughs> that are all blending together. Well, that I, well, that I saw with my dad. Um, okay. Yeah. And and we visited a few submarines because my dad was in the navy when it wouldn't. Um, before I was born, and, and so he had interest in these things because he served on some of the. Mm. Um, obviously, not a U boat, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, <laughs> he, he had interest. So, so we watched some of these films, and, and I can't remember if that was Which, one of them or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it rang a bell when I first right. saw it mentioned a while back, but um, like like if, about five or six years ago, I, I saw it sort of mm. pop up or something. And I thought, oh, I'm pretty sure I saw that when I was a kid. Any as an aside, any. Um, uh, submarine movie fans who are looking for a good book to read, I strongly recommend uh, Shadow Divers, which uh, was going to be made into a film by Peter Weir, but has been... That rumor's been kicking around for ages. It's about a um, group of scuba divers who are off the coast of uh, New York and uh, find a U-boat, and are trying to figure out what the hell a U-boat was doing off the coast of New York, and in the process lose a couple lives, and it's a pretty extraordinary story of... um, Especially if you're a diver to read. Um, so that's our uh, drama coverage. We'll go back and give some pics of other stuff that we haven't seen that we're excited about. But moving into the music docos, um, another returnee from the the other returnee from last year's festival, Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- now we you've you've yeah, seen this. Yeah, I've seen this one. Were you a fan going in? Um, of um of Tribe Quest. Yeah. Uh, yes, not a big fan, but but yeah, I, I was aware of their music and, and listened to it a little bit, but I wasn't wasn't a big fan. <laughs> Uh, and, I, I, I enjoyed it, yeah, but I, yeah. not, I just, you know, I wasn't sunk in them, sort of yeah. thing. Um, I really enjoyed it as a doco. Um, I, I read some of the controversy prior to it coming out, um, and talks about how people were a bit upset with, like, half the crew were a little bit upset about how it came out in terms of how it depicted part of the crew, because there's arguments between um, various people in the group. 
um, um, uh, Q-tip and what have you. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, d- I didn't think it actually was uh, all that bad, like, in, in terms of the way it came out. And interestingly, um, directed by Michael Rappaport, who uh, you might recognise as an actor. I think it was his first um, <laughs> directorial outing. It was, What yeah. was his TV show? I don't know what his TV show was, but... Was it the Pizza Place one? No, he was, no. A, he, he was in a... He was Something in a, else. He was in a film called Beautiful Girls... Uh, he's a mighty Aphrodite. He was in higher learning. Yeah. Um, he's had he and and he's basically made a living playing the lunkhead, which makes his yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thing in there interesting. Um, you see, I, I, I'm um, tri- tribe's first record in particular is a record you know that I've mm. I've listened to hundreds of times and um, live and die by, and I, you yeah. know it's um, one of the, I think it was one of the best music documentaries I've ever seen of just the sort of the unfettered access and kind of um it's something interesting in general too that's going on right now and maybe always has been but it seems especially pronounced now where you have these acts that are getting such um offers (laughs) to continue to do you know do what they used to do that they feel obligated to go back and you know in a weird way it almost harkens back to the pixies documentary from a few years back where it's like these people that don't really like each other Mm -hmm. but you know they they've the offer's too good to refuse. And you imagine, like, you know, I mean, there aren't documentaries about it that I know of, but, like, you know, the, the My Bloody Valentine reunions might be like that, or the Pulp reunion that's coming up, or all these bands. And, um, and uh, you know, there's, there's a really poignant moment when um, De La Soul says, you know, like... And, and I, I saw a tribe with De La Soul in 1990 two, three, something like yeah. that. So, you know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean yeah. they, they've been, you know, f- together forever as yeah, yeah. friends. And it's just like, you know, if they're not about what they say they're about, you know, maybe they should move on and call it a day. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, you know, at the end of it, there's that. So um, I, I definitely think it's a music doco that goes well beyond its core audience. Yeah, into, it was, it was, it's pretty, pretty, um, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and the music's fantastic. Yeah, um, going into another one of my favorite bands, um, the Birthday Party, uh, Nick Cave's very first band. Oh, was, was um, he, oh, I didn't realize he was in it. Yeah, so the, the okay. Birthday, yeah, Nick Nick Cave, and um, the, yeah, the that g- was pretty much the only thing I knew about the Birthday Party before I watched this. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I so think the, I'm the only one out of all three of us who's seen it. What Luminescent? That's right. So the yeah. film we're talking about is now is Auto Luminescent, <laughs> which is a film about the guitarist of the Birthday Party, Roland S. Oh. Howard. Who passed away very recently, and um, it was two thousand and nine. You know, yeah. So. Now they started the. Now you've seen that they started the documentary before he passed away. Is that true? I think that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's. He, yeah. No. In so far as he's in it, he's in the film. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they could have been using archival yeah. footage. No, no. But it, uh, there's a lot of archival stuff. But he yeah. is interviewed in the film. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't. I I had sort of heard of the birthday party. I knew Nick Cave had something to do with them. I'm not that into post-punk and I watched this and I feel now like I know not only I, I got I got like a full blast of the music so I know that whole deal but also yeah. I know Roland S. Howard as a person because it just incorporates so many interviews with people who knew him and loved him and respected him and who influenced him and you know all that sort of stuff now i don't know the um, rest of his career as well because he played with crime in the city solution and lydia lunch is that right lydia lunch is in the film very briefly they got right. an interview in the back of a taxi cab somewhere okay. so it's not she wasn't um 
I don't remember her being in there too much more than that. There's a but... reference in the trailer to that she threw a knife at him once, and he just laughed. Um, I just watched the trailer earlier tonight. So. Right, I don't. I've seen the trailer, but uh, um, maybe that didn't make the final cut for some reason. <laughs> Possibly legal. It's just in the trailer. Um, yeah, but it's just it's a really well put together film. Um, and I can see why it did so well when it premiered at Melbourne last year. Um, everyone was talking about that on Twitter when Melbourne when Melbourne had its film. Oh Twitter. right. Now one of the things that impressed. I mean, I was going to see this anyway because I mean, I you yeah. could probably have ninety minutes of Talking Heads in like one shot of him playing and I'd still go see it but um, one yeah, thing but that it's, it's half impressed half, me basically yeah I think um, there's just so much archival footage of him playing with the band and you know um, interviews with him from from the period as well which are really fascinating um, it also seemed like there was a lot of um, they also used a lot of footage in the thing that seemed like it was newly shot that was just you know expressionist kind of you know things in the field and stuff like that. I don't know if, yeah, how, how stylized it goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't get too... doesn't drift too far away from your standard kind of talking heads, interviews, slash archival footage, uh, documentary sort of setup. But, um, yeah, just a really, really fascinating character and a really well-put-together well film, I think. Um, so I, I guess even like Beats, Rhymes, and Life, it, it goes beyond the sort of target audience. Yeah. Um, Cool, you've convinced me. I'm going to see it. Cool. 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 <laughs> I'll be there with you. Um, going in the opposite direction from uh, noisily harsh to um, placidly gentle, the swell season. Uh, <laughs> now, Jacob's the one, only one of us who's seen it. I know you've written your review for uh, the Lumiere Reader already, but uh, maybe you want to give us a bit of a... Uh, um, it's Glenn Hansard and Marketa Iglova, yeah. who um, yeah. were the stars of Once, yeah. and Glenn Hansard, of course, had his band The Frames. Yeah, well, and, out, uh, out of Once, if you, I mean, I guess the primary audience for this film will be people who know Once and know of them from Once. So after the film, I think they'd been collaborating musically prior to that, but uh, they went off and became The Swell Season. Um, a musical duo um, with a band and started touring off the back of that film I guess and off the back of the success of it um, they both won Oscars um, for Best Original Song I think um, for Falling Slowly um, and I guess essentially what you know what happened the, the most people know and that, they were going out yeah yeah well they weren't straight away but uh, a oh, romance oh, blossomed okay. Um, out of that, except that there's like during a, the making of the film or after the film I don't know the exact timeline I think it was after the film but could be different. There's a there's a, she. Uh, Marketa was she's from um, Czech Republic, and she had been living in Ireland, I think, or had moved to Ireland. And she's like half his age, right? Yeah, she was in like high school or something, like towards the when she first moved over, I think, or possibly when they first met. Um, and so they didn't get together straight away. They were in a sort of a different. I think he was um, staying with their family over in Czech Republic for a while. Um, yeah, so it's 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 a really kind of interesting documentary, and I think the documentarians, this trio of people, um, wanted to uh, just sort of see where this musical collaboration went because they were fascinated with Once and how um, how the characters in the film sort of came to life, um, and it was so sort of uh, realistic, I guess, in the film. Uh, that they sort of went off and did their thing musically. Um, and so I think they got permission to shoot them from their first tour as the Swell Season um, in 2007. Um, and then uh, they followed them for about three years, I think, so up until 2010, something like that. And uh, over that time, the, uh, I guess, a reasonably well-known arc is that the relationship sort of went through a, ter- 
a bit of turmoil. So you had this sort of fairy tale relationship from a film that became real and then sort of underwent the pressures of stardom, unexpected stardom, and, and age, massive age differences and all this kind of stuff. Um, and having to go on stage every night and recreate the song about you falling in love. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I saw... Uh, uh, an NPR Tiny Desk concert they did a few years ago, uh, well, no, 2009, I think, um, which I which I um, had a look at and downloaded on iTunes. Um, and uh, it was a really interesting thing at the time. It looked really kind of awkward, um, and she was really retiring, and she, to a degree, is that kind of person more than he is. Um, but having seen the film, you kind of, and knowing a little bit more about the story and possibly where that fell in the timeline, you can kind of see why that was such a slightly although it was a really good performance why it was slightly awkward yeah. uh, much like once actually it's, it's, it's a lot of music in it um, a lot of um, bits and pieces from stage time some really nice um, off the cuff footage of the band and them just hanging out at times and doing that whole kind of Irish people sing stuff <laughs> like, like Kayleigh's Kayleigh's and stuff um, you know where, where you just sit around jam sing or you're having a meal and everyone sings a song you know um, I didn't know this happened um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, now, now, one thing worth remarking on as well. I mean, you know, for instance, in Beats, Rhymes, and Life, a lot of the great shots of it are, you know, these DV cams running down the hallway. <laughs> you know, like it's a complete mess, and you're getting yeah. you know quick spans. Um, from what I've seen in the trailer, though, it's just black. A, it's black and white. Yeah. B, just stunningly shot. Well, like it, it almost looks staged. From what I've seen. Uh, yes and no. It looks that way because the um, filmmakers wanted it to look that way. Um, what. Uh, they stated that one of their um, one of their aims making the film was that once as a film was uh, a document. Uh, sorry, was was uh, a feature fictional feature shot as if it was a documentary. And so what they wanted to then sort of mirror that by shooting a documentary as if it was a fictional feature right. in terms of the setup. And so it's really interesting because most documentaries are that they're they're shaky cams basically going where the content is, following where the story is happening um, but they did a lot of really interesting setup so it's a very cinematic film for a documentary right. um, and some of that is really beautiful um, there's some really nice setups and shots there's this great scene that gets captured in uh, in a sort of riverside and I think it's in Eastern Europe in a riverside um, cafe bar um, which you know they've got a stationary set shot and a lock frame and then stuff just happens in it. You, know? right. so I, you wonder how much stuff they missed or how much stuff they, you know, they, they just lucked out on. Uh, so in that respect, I found it really interesting as a documentary because it's, it's far more cinematic than most documentaries I see. Great. Yeah. That's a huge endorsement for me. Yeah. Um, now, Under African Skies, Paul Simon, uh, yeah. is the Graceland album. And I think I'm the only one of, of out of three of us who have seen that. You are, although yeah. I've, um, I've, I've heard that album enough times that I'll know everything. Yeah, I, yeah. I love that album yeah. pieces. It's one of my yeah. favorite albums of all time. Um, so, Joe Berlinger, the guy who made the Paradise Lost films. Of which Paradise Lost hmm. 3 is also in the... In the double... In the, in the world cinema. Yeah, yeah none of us right. have seen it, but... Uh, no, but he's the same guy. He's... he's quite versatile he also made Metallica some kind of monster oh right so, yeah <laughs> and and that movie Crude about um that advocacy movie about oil right so he's he's all across the board um and Under African Skies was made last year on the 25th anniversary of Graceland which came out in 1986 which was a year after I was born um but I for whatever reason have just listened to that album more than any other album I think 
Maybe Fleetwood Mac's Rumors is up there as well. But um, see, see, my parents got it when I we were. Um, I guess it came out eighty six when I was thirteen. Yeah, and it was the only album that they played that I really loved, and so it was just like our go to album all the time. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, my dad had the cassette, and you know we used to. Yeah, it was it was a huge breakout because I mean. Uh, if you allow us to be old farts for a minute, <laughs> you know, like my parents grew up on Simon and Garfunkel and loved that, and then Paul Simon. Well, I grew up on Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, but they like literally, <laughs> you know, like, you know, in real time as the albums were coming out, <laughs> and then um, when uh, and then Paul Simon's solo career happened, and he had he had quite a few solo records, but yeah. um, and I think and he, some had, I think he had hits. three solo records by but, the time Grayson came out. So he yeah, had Hearts and Bones, which was like ninety. 1982 or something like that and didn't do too well 82 yeah and then in, yeah. sometime in 1985 he got sent a cassette of Township music I think the band was called Township Jive but I could be wrong about that and so it's he gets sent the South African music and he's like this is amazing I have to go and record with these guys goes to his producers and he's like I have to go to South Africa but of course the problem is that Apartheid yeah. is still in place this is what Three years after the Springbok rights, yeah. so yeah. that's actually a really interesting connection. Um, I can't imagine that comes up in the film. No, no, it doesn't. It? But yeah. it's just an interesting thing okay. to think about as as the film goes on, because the whole discussion he has with um, the whole discussion of the film is like it's not only a, like a behind the music documentary; it's also why did he go and break the UN regulations around yeah. cultural participation in South Africa, and. It becomes really fascinating at the end um, when he kind of comes to a resolution on that, and it's essentially that he was bringing something out of the he was exporting culture from the country rather than appropriating. You know, he, yeah, he, the the argument could could be could be had that he was just another white guy mm. using the music and the culture of black people and appropriating it or misappropriating it and and not giving them fair credit, etc., etc. Um, but he did give them credit, and he did tour around the world with them, and he played a concert in Zimbabwe, mm. um, and all this sort of stuff. And it's just—it's a really, really great documentary from that aspect. Um, Aesthetically, what's the approach that he's using? <coughs> is there a lot of talking heads, or is there a lot of original footage at the time? Or, or uh, there's that? a there's a heap of original footage. It's obviously old tapes and stuff that hasn't fared so well in the past. What, mid-80s video formats don't yeah. do well? <laughs> yeah, they generally don't, yeah. So it's a bit all over the place, visually, but... Um, I don't mind that in a good documentary, you know. It's... Yeah, I mean, if you have original footage of them all yeah, recording yeah. the original songs in the studio, it's pretty amazing yeah. to see. And there's a really great bit, and I, I hadn't actually seen this particular performance before, but they performed uh, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes on Saturday Night Live. Oh. Um, and you see Robin Williams come out in a really horrible shirt, and he's like, "Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Simon." Oh. And so, they, and it's an amazing performance, and that was what sort of helped to bolster the sales of the album, and it just oh. became this phenomenon from that point on. And I remember watching that off a of videotape that we set because we taped Saturday Night Live every night. Oh, really? <laughs> well, every Saturday night. The, yeah, yeah there oh, are wow. new ones on. Yeah, cool. Because I'm old. podcast is But it sounds like it does sound like that breaks out of the. Um, uh, the... It's definitely not just to stand behind the music. Yeah. yeah. Um, Twenty five years later, let's go back and look at how this album was made. It's let's go back and look Sit at the conditions. Sit in a mixing board and bring. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah. The, there was there that. that I had no yeah. idea about when I was a kid. Like, I, I, mm. obviously, I was aware of apartheid and I was aware of New Zealand's sort of response to some of that stuff, but I, it just didn't click to me that 
some American guy being in um, yeah, I mean, it became being, quite being in Africa. Really. Yeah. Do they draw any threads? I'm just curious. Do they draw any threads to sort of the development of um, the expansion of world music into American cultures? Because it wasn't too long after that that Peter Gabriel started going down the whole real world. Yeah, they mentioned Peter Gabriel was mentioned a little bit thing, um, and, very briefly. Um, um, and there's a certain sort of accepted style of world music that kind of came out of yeah that. Yeah, I'm probably yeah. playing my cards a little bit in terms of my feelings about that. There, but um, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Cool. Um, so let's move on to the non-musical documentaries, which, uh, Jacob, you've seen a couple of these. Yeah. Uh, Helen Back Again. Yes. Um, that's the, uh, the, the, well, I mean, it's a military doco in some respects, but it, it really um, it focuses on uh, a particular sergeant in the uh, United States Marines um, who uh, is fighting in, Afghanis- in Afghanistan. And uh, it, it, the doco sort of has a bit of, kind of splits the footage between um, stuff in Afghanistan and then his return home and then dealing with returning home and uh, sort of PTSD kind of PTSD kind of stuff, post-traumatic stress disorder. Basically his issues trying to reintegrate into life um, back home. Right. Um, it's um, it's an interesting film. The guy who shot it, um, Dan Fung um, Dennis, uh, I'm not sure if that's pronounced right, Dan Fung or Dan Fung or however you pronounce it, um, has a background, a, kind of a, a, sh- a brief background, he's quite young, as a photojournalist. Um, and so he was embedded with the unit over in um, the Helmand province in Afghanistan. And so the footage from Afghanistan is insane in the same way that Restrepo was insane, um, where you've got someone who's right in amongst it. So there's firefights happening, and this dude with the camera is running around and bullets flying past, and it's just like... Why on earth are you there? <laughs> this is nuts. You know, the kind of stuff that you see in an action film, but you're going, this is for real. Oh, terrible. Um, and so that's really fascinating. And also, because he's a photojournalist, he's got a really um, really nice sort of visual style. It, well, you know, obviously you can't sort of right. do too much when you're running around the bush or the whatever it is. Um, There's not much bush in Afghanistan, I Well, no, in this province, I think there was. Oh, you know, okay. They, they okay. were in some sort of mountainous stuff and there were fields and what have you. Um, but it, had, it splits a lot of time in Afghanistan between either firefight sort of stuff but also dealing the military having to deal with the local communities and trying to trying to create positive um, relationship with communities who have no idea why you're there or what benefit you're being to them they don't they don't necessarily like the Taliban but they don't see you as being a positive essentially you're just causing the violence to come into their neighbourhood and um, they can't run their farms, they can't um, thing, uh, they, they need to move out of their houses, their kids are in danger because bullets are flying everywhere. Um, so, yeah, so that's really kind of an interesting thing. But it's also interesting that, um, uh, not unlike Restrepo, the military isn't painted as terrible. Like, no. uh, most <laughs> of the footage of them trying, although they don't necessarily, they're following the kind of the, the party line and they, and they don't necessarily see why they can't see that they're trying to help them to achieve democracy or freedom or whatever they, you know, their stated aims are. Um, but you can see that they actually believe that and they're trying to do that and they're doing their best to be on side with the locals and do what they can to make things as good as they can for them with them being in the in the, in the region. Um, now, you mentioned, like, Restrepo and there's um, yeah. Armadillo. Armadillo, and There's been yeah. quite a few 
um, yeah. well, see, documentaries the, recently. So how do how do you think this one st- well, that, stands against those or creates its own kind of voice? I really love Restrepo, um, and I, I I would say that I prefer Restrepo. But this one is different in that it, it takes him back home and looks at him. He gets injured. Um, the the main character Nathan uh, Sergeant Nathan Harris um, is uh, in a firefight and gets shot and. Um, uh, through the hip, I think, and it basically destroys his bone. So he has a metal rod down his leg, gets sent home, and so half of the footage it basically intercuts between him trying to integrate into um, life back in the states, um, just with his his married young wife, um, and so she's very supportive of him. Um, he's this is his third tour in Afghanistan, so he's like a career soldier to a degree, and really kind of believes in what they're doing and out there and so he's he's quite young and he's getting really frustrated at home but he's also you know he's trying to process suddenly you know being in the middle of this very kind of intense um life or death situation and then now he's at home and he's in a wheelchair and right people are generally nice and like they have um so it's different in that sense that like a lot of the documentaries that we've seen are often very focused on on the the field and the insanity of the field rather than yeah and so he does a really good job of creating the sense of i guess just the unsettled sense of this guy's psyche um in the uh in, in that um he'll be having a a part where he's really not coping with something that's happening at home where he's sort of wigging out and, you know, he's playing with his guns because he's, you know, he's got guns at home and he's getting a bit kind of edgy and, and it's, some of the footage is... In fact, I found the footage at home more unsettling because, right. because he is not coping and he's kind of looking like he could get violent or psych out um, and he's got guns and ammo and, <laughs> and you don't think that he's necessarily going to do that. But, but Taxi driver in the documentary. But, but yeah, but he's... And, and so what? how he kind of... Uh, reinforces that un- that feeling of unsettledness is that he cuts um, in a nice way across to footage in Afghanistan, which is, um, th- you know, which is objectively speaking a worse situation to be in. But in that situation, he's a much more settled. He knows what's happening. He knows what he's doing. You know your place. Yeah. You know. And so, so it's really interesting that uh, that juxtaposition of of location and emotional psychological state of the person of the subject so that's really good but the the one thing that kind of let me down a little bit for the film was that um it seemed quite like a a short piece to me in terms of how far it tracked along his time span so i don't know whether there was a limit where he said oh we can't do this anymore um or or the filmmaker could yeah, only or afford the, to spend yeah, two months with yeah, him or something. Um, so it's, it's hard to know what that was, but um, it kind of left me feeling a little unsatisfied and, and that I want to see more. But what was there was really nicely done, really nicely put together and, and very interesting. Uh, yeah. Cool. I, it actually reminded that Brian March, um, a couple of years ago, New Zealand filmmaker who did... Uh, yeah, There Is Not an Island. Yeah, yeah There Is Not an Island. Um, there Once Was an Island. There Once Was an Island, sorry. Yeah, I reviewed that, I should know. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> did... Uh, in last year's program or the year before I'm trying to struggling to remember which week, which year it was um, also had a short called Michael and his Dragon um, which was a similar thing about a, a returned soldier because she was doing a Fulbright scholarship over in, over in the States yeah. um, shot a six minute short about a returned soldier um, who was suffering from PTSD, PTSD um, and that was very much one on one with him at home talking about his experience of not really being able to relate to what was happening 
and life back at home and through the lens of tattoos that he'd gotten and so the stories about his tattoos and then about life so Mike and I was dragging this dragon tattoo that he'd gotten um, but yeah it, yeah it had some bore some resemblance to that and that this guy's situation and not being able to integrate back into life very well and yeah it sounds like a parallel with a little Dieter needs to fly yeah if you've seen that yeah so. um, another one uh, The Tall Man yeah, that was um, very different. That was an Australian um, documentary about uh, an Aboriginal man from a community called Palm Island, um, Cameron Dumaji, I can't remember how to pronounce it, um, who was um, who died in police custody in um, 2004, I think. Um, and he... Uh, there was some question about how that happened um, and the community ended up having a riot because they weren't um, happy with the explanation the local police gave and so it's a documentary about that guy's death and about the the policeman at the sort of centre of the controversy and then ongoing court battles that were had to try and bring about some sort of sense of justice. Right, so he's an Aboriginal yeah. man, the tall man who yeah. dies? Oh, no, no, uh, the tall man refers to the policeman um, oh, okay. who's a uh, uh, white Australian um, Okay. Yeah, it's really interesting in that um, it really is about um, sort of the broad social inequities um, and um, inequities of justice um, for um, Indigenous people in this, in Australia. And so you have this community who feel like they're not getting a, a fair listening or a fair um, inquiry into an event that happened that had the roles been reversed, or even not even if it was a cop and, a, and another person, um, but had it been... Uh, Aboriginal person who, um, or an Indigenous person who'd been um, very close to someone, a white man who died um, after a scuffle, that there would have been a much more hard-hitting inquiry and probably would have been presumed to be guilty and, and then would have been put away. Um, the filmmakers are really, they they do a really good job of not demonising the cop, and they do um, they it's it's pretty much talking here. It's not it's not a particularly cinematic documentary it's just sort of shot um with a lot of sort of talking head stuff some archival footage of stuff that had happened at the time um but it's a really compelling story um and that it's telling a much broader cultural <coughs> story um and and I, and I like the way that they didn't demonize the the policeman um as a, as a malicious bigot or or as someone mm-hmm. who had purposely kind of beaten this guy um perhaps i mean it's not 100 percent proven he he was the first cop, I think, in two thousand and seven, that was um, charged um, with a death in custody suit um, in Queensland, and he, um, I think, he was uh, acquitted. Um, and maybe they were going back. The family were going back for for um, an appeal, but um, there was some conflicting evidence given by coroners at the time, um, and one of them was kind of ignored um, and then passed over by the State Department or the police and, and various state things to get someone else to look at it. And there's this real sense of collusion with um, with the police, the state police and some of the state judicial bodies to try and do their best to get their man off. Um, yeah. And whether that is what happened or not, I, there's enough evidence to say, to paint that as a, as a possibility, um, or as a very likely possibility, but it's not definite mm. yeah but the the idea that um that even if someone is not has not purposefully done something malicious they still need to be responsible for their what actions. has happened and i think that was that's the kind of the big thing but it's nicely done and it's a and it's a pretty compelling story cool yeah. um 
sort of on the flip side aesthetically, um, there's a movie about um, the couple Charles and Ray Eames who are uh, amazing polymaths, um, uh, architects, filmmakers, designers, and the the film is called Eames, the Architect and the Painter, and Mm -hmm. Hugh, you've seen this. Yeah, Um, Um, I didn't know much about Eames beyond his chair, right? (laughs) So everyone knows the Eames chair. But I didn't. Know. Everyone, you should feel bad. If you don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, don't click Google chair. Image. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know he was also a filmmaker, and he did these sort of. Did you know that The Simpsons uh, had done a reference to one of his films, The Powers of Ten? I've seen. No, I've yeah, seen yeah, The Powers of Ten thing now. Yeah, I know, yeah. And I, yeah, I picked up on that, which is this, yeah. if you don't know, it pulls away from the earth and. Mm. Look up the powers of Tim. Uh, <laughs> hard to explain. There's a what. six DVD set. There's lots of good stuff on there. Yeah. If you're so inclined. Um, if you really, really love them after this. Uh, so this is narrated by James Franco, which is an interesting little touch, and it's sort of your standard issue PBS documentary, really. Um, the showcase and the festival seems to... And the other smaller festivals as well, the Documentary Edge one and a couple mm. of the others, seem to put on these PBS documentaries that do really well as films. Mm. Um, whereas they'd work equally as well on t- like they have done well on TV in the States. Um, the other one in this showcase is about Woody Allen. But the Eames, the architect and the painter is, yeah, it's just, it's really fascinating. I just, it, I found it fascinating because I didn't know any of this stuff at all. And it sort of opened my eyes to, to what they were doing and what they were trying to do in terms of getting her more in the limelight. But she was not so much in his shadow, but she right. wasn't really recognized as the instigating force behind a lot of what was happening until quite a lot later. Yeah. Like, we're talking about the 50s where, you know... Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they're, they're, was... they're a couple and it's Charles and Ray Eames. And yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, obviously Charles is doing that and she's just back in the office doing drawings or something. Yeah, or, yeah, which was not the know. case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they made these really fascinating little films and, and all yeah. sorts of other stuff as well. It wasn't just filmmaking. What I love about the Eames, and, I, and I'd be curious to know how much of it about this comes through in the documentary, is um, it reflects this almost uniquely optimistic time in the States. Uh, you know, this sort of post-war era um, of uh, we... I mean, they, they made films for IBM and they made films for the military. Yeah, they, and a lot they, of those and, comes they, and, they, comes and from, yeah, yeah and, they, and so they worked with institutions that, you know, are not necessarily things that we would find comfortable nowadays. But our institutions, yeah, at the time, it was like, look, we're gonna we're gonna work on design. We're gonna throw all these ideas out there with science, and we're just gonna create this sort of ideas lab for a better tomorrow, and. Um, and there's sort of a bright-eyed optimism, and it was just like there's a there's a great film of theirs called Blacktop, which consists almost entirely of just shots of people washing a blacktop, and it's just like there's no real reason for its existence other than they thought that shots of that looking through a blacktop are cool. And if you watch it on the DVD, you know there's like that, and then there'll be an instructional video on using an IBM computer, yeah, exactly, and yeah. an instructional film. I think and, blacktop might have been there very, very briefly, but there was a lot of this kind of stuff that they yeah. did. For, for massive, massive corporates. Yeah. And it was this kind of boutique sort of little bits and pieces here and there. They weren't contracted to IBM mm. for a big, long project. They were mm. just, we need a new logo, or well, not so much a logo, but we need this piece of design or this, we need you to design yeah. this kind of, this furniture or this building or this whatever. 
But it's a sense, I mean, with possibly the exception of Apple, um, there's a general sense, and even that's its own thing, but um, that, you know, if somebody says a big corporation, people kind of go, ooh, they're evil, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I'm not I'm not seeing that's a right or wrong reaction to have so much as it's just this fascinating slice of time. Mm. That when, when, those two, very, when those two worlds are allowed to very different. Yeah, 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 where it's like a creative person be like, yeah, of course I'm going to go do mm. something because these, you know, this company has all these great scientists and we're working to make a better world. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so um, for that, um, if nothing else, I'm quite keen to see it. Um, now, uh, in going from utopia to dystopia, um, the final film that we're, we've seen is... Uh, this is not a film, which is yeah. probably why I made the mistake earlier on yeah, <laughs> yeah, Brian yeah, March's yeah. film, but also about um, Jafar Panahi. Yeah. And, um, do you want to run with this? Okay, yeah, so for those who aren't aware, um, Jafar Panahi is an Iranian director um, who... Offside, Crimson Gold. The Circle. Uh, the um, Circle, yeah. Um, who has, yeah, done some, some groundbreaking um, uh, filmmaking out of Iran. Um, who was um, off the back of a screenplay that he submitted uh, was charged and convicted of some sort of anti-state um, uh, activity due to this film he wanted to make, um, which was about a a young girl um, who was going to go to university and her parents lock her up, a very conservative parents lock her up, so she can't actually go to this the sort of the open day sign in sort of period where if you miss that you can't go. Um, and that was that was kind of the premise of his film, um, and so he he got a a, a sentence of uh, six years in prison and and twenty year ban from filmmaking. Um, and anyway, he was appealing that, and so he was allowed to be at home. And I, I it was hard to tell exactly what it was, but it appears to me to be some sort of house arrest, maybe, or or at least he he was at home and he wasn't allowed to travel. I feel like saying it's house arrest. Yeah, from what I've read. Yeah, um, and uh, so possibly out of frustration or just out of boredom or, or out of a desire to want to document or create, he turns the cameras on uh, at his house one day, just as his <coughs> cheap camera at home or whatever that he's got. I um, think it's an iPhone, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there, there are some stuff on an iPhone, there are some stuff on a, on a better camera, um, okay. and there's some stuff prior to that that could be his iPhone, it could be something else. Um, so he turns his camera on while he has a conversation with his lawyer, I believe. Um, about how the case is going and and how the appeal's going, um, which is really interesting. But really, it's 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 a it's a picture of of someone who is really creative, who wants, who's trying to express himself. I guess has had has been in an environment where he's been able to to a degree, and then suddenly that's come down on him yeah. really harshly. Well, yeah, I mean, I. I... I mean, one of the main things about his sentence was that he was banned from making filmmaking, yeah. which is why... From making filmmaking. From making a film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, which is why it's called This, this is, not is Not a, a Film. film yeah. But also it was um, fa- quite famously smuggled out of Iran uh, in, a in a cake, cake on a USB stick <laughs> in order to play with Khan. Yeah, yeah. yeah in the Iran yeah. So is that... Co- that that wouldn't be covered in the film? Or is it no, no, that, that, that's not referred to because I haven't got that far. Yeah, I didn't um, know if they had a post-log or anything. Yeah, so... Uh, no, epilogue. Essentially what... No, no, there's no epilogue. Um, essentially what happened um, is that he sort of shoots the stuff and then he rings a friend um, whose name is... I think the guy that you mentioned last time whose name I can't remember starting with M. His, his Russell Luth. No, 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 no. Mohammad Rasulov. 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 Mohamm
No, that's a different guy. Who's a different guy? Yeah. Was Taba Mermathspaf. I mentioned Wilson yeah. McMahon oh, okay, yesterday. Yeah. Um, a friend of his who is a, is a filmmaker as well, he invites him to come around and turn a camera on. Um, and at one stage, there's a really little funny interchange where he's <laughs> trying to give direction, where Panahi is trying to give direction to his friend who he's invited around with his camera to, to record his, his thoughts and, and just record him doing mm. whatever mm-hmm. um, in this period that he has at home. Um, and the guy says... And the guy, his friend, kind of um, half sarcastically, half smartly, just kind of gets back. No, no, you can't tell me what to do. Essentially, <laughs> you just do what you're going to do. I'll record it how I want. I'll, because, I'll make because, this yeah, non-film. Yeah, yeah, because if 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 you uh, if you are telling if you're giving me um, direction, it could be seen as you being the filmmaker, and obviously mm. that can't happen. Mm. Uh, and it's quite a touching kind of moment. Um, and his friend is is very much sort of in that zone but um, one of the things that happens in, in the film is that uh, he's talking to his lawyer and uh, his lawyer says it might help um, I said she says I don't think we're going to be able to reduce the sentence because they're kind of making an example of you but they might be able to um, knock off some of this ban from filmmaking um, and said, but he said it might help if um, you get some support from filmmakers and he goes oh do we need to get more letters from the inter- international community because there's a lot of um, support behind me, I think, um, that we've received. Should, do we need to get some more together? And it's like, ah, oh, no, that won't play that well. We need local support from the local industry, uh, people saying that what you're doing is good, that that you're, um, that you're not trying to um, paint the state in a bad way necessarily, but you're trying to explore issues and thing, and we, we support this. Um, and he, you can see he's really conflicted because he's like, I can't get my friends involved because what if they get arrested? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's quite evocative of the sort yeah. of 50s blacklist era in yeah. a way. In yeah, sense. yeah, very much so. Mm. And so it's, it's, not a, it's not a great put-together film in that it's, it's... And it's not really a film. It's just some really touching hours or moments in a man's life who's highly creative, who's very kind of afraid of what's going to happen, frustrated by his situation... Um, who just wants to express something, and like one of the things he does is he, he takes the the screenplay that he has for his old film uh, for the film that he got arrested for, and says, "Oh, maybe I should read some of this out um, and, and kind of um, give you a sense of what it is." So it's not a film; it's just kind of a, an explanation of a of a screenplay. That can't be called a film, can it? Right. Uh, <laughs> but then he gets really frustrated with doing that. Like he goes as far as like kind of taping out the area. This is how big it's going to be. Right, this is yeah. the direction we're going to shoot from, kind of thing. Um, explaining it on on camera, but then he, you can see he gets frustrated with that because it's like this can't convey what I what I want it to convey. And so he sort of mm. says, "Wait on, let's go to my TV and I'll show you one of my older films. Look at this moment. This you can't you can't explain this. You know this is yeah." And so he ends up giving a thesis on filmmaking and and, and on yeah, and, and it's very touching and it's a very sad piece because yeah, yeah. As as a geek, it sounds fucking amazing. Yeah, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing yeah. it. Do you think it will work for a general audience, or is it too kind of esoteric about meta sort of concepts around filmmaking? I think it'll work for. <clears throat> It'll work for a festival audience. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about a Hunger Games audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not a mainstream audience walk off the walk off the uh, the street sort of thing. But yeah, I think for a festival audience, they'll appreciate the situation the guy is in and a very human response in the situation, even though it's specific to a kind of a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, it, it's it's compelling from that. I I I, I was just glued, locked into it. And and found it quite moving, yeah. 
Cool. Um, so that, those are the films that we've seen at World Cinema Showcase. Yes. Maybe talk briefly about some of the films that we haven't seen, but are um, uh, keenest trips to see. Um, Miss Bala is the head of the list for me, which is a Mexican film uh, by Gerardo Nan... Uh, I'm going to get the name wrong. I always do this. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, it's about um, a uh, beauty pageant contest who gets embroiled in uh, uh, some various nefarious activities, including shootouts with uh, drug lords, I believe. And um, which sounds really it, it, that's a horrible description because it just sounds pretty generic. But it's been one of the um, most widely praised films of the past year from its uh, debut at Cannes and some other festivals, and um, uh, a wide array of critics have really. Um, rated it as one of the um, great films currently out there in the festival. Yeah, I'm definitely place. looking forward to it, and I think you are as well, Jacob. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gerardo Naranjo, I think yes. his name is. He did um, Drama Mex and uh, yes. I'm Gonna okay. Explode. I was not a big Drama Mex fan, but I didn't see I'm Gonna Explode. I, I'm the same as you. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of the first one. Yeah, but and I haven't seen the second one. But I've seen neither. So yeah, yeah. Dra- Drama Max was kind of a handheld, sort of coming of age, bit of kid crime thing, and it was one of those films that you're like. And I think I'm going to explode. Looked like the same thing again. Like it yeah. looks like I don't think that ever came out here, but it it looked like the same kind of goofy, kind of coming of age type thing going on. Didn't really look like something I wanted to try and seek out. Yeah, Jeffrey Wills, which, take that how you will, but he's been comparing this film to Antonioni in certain but ways. He's been comparing Miss Bala to it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which um, could just be a, a crazy <laughs> comparison, but if there's anything to that. Because um, mm. I, th- I think even though it's um, an action-y film and its premise and there's lots of bullets, it's not necessarily treated like an action film and uh, really gets yeah, into well, the guts of a lot of yeah. Jay, um, Jay Hogman's little blurb here says um, it's an example of virtuo- virtuoso action filmmaking and an impassioned response to the collapse of civil order in northern Mexico. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's not just your standard action movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, fair enough. Um, what else is high on your well, list? Well, spe- speaking of standard action movies or non-standard action movies, uh, Harakiri 3D: Death of a Samurai. Yeah. Um, now this is interesting because yeah. um, the original film by Masaki Kobayashi. <laughs> Um, is one of my favorite samurai films of all time, which by extension is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. Um, it's, I put it above anything Kurosawa ever did. Um, oh, it's that good. Um, and it's basically... Ooh, that'd be um, interesting for you then. Yeah, well, it's it's nerve-wracking, because uh, the, yeah. the remake is done by Takashi Miike, and Takashi Miike, of course, oh, is notorious as a bad boy from, you know, the audition visitor queue <laughs> kind of um, days, and... Um, but, you know, his 13 Assassins, which played at the festival Ooh, last yeah, year, yeah. Um, it had a couple crazy moments, but it was a reasonably respectful samurai film. It, as as much as it, <clears throat> there were these bit of, whoa, moments, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't it, it taking was, the piss was, out of the no, genre. It was, it was him with a very same. loving kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't blown away by it, but oh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, yeah. I, I, I loved it. Um, there was a lot of touch you know. points to classic sort of samurai film in terms of actors. Yeah. Well, 13 Assassins was also a remake, yeah. but 13 Assassins isn't as well-known a film. Harakiri's yeah. been released on Criterion, mm-hmm. and um, Kobayashi just has such a precise eye. He's one of the greatest filmmakers as far as just... You know, I put him on almost a Kubrick level as far as knowing how to frame a shot. Oh, yeah. um, and 
and so, so it's um, and Miko's uh, film is in three D. Yeah. So, <laughs> the, uh, so, mm. so I, 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 I don't know what to expect. I think the the first wave of con reviews were like, ah, oh, this is really boring after Thirteen Assassins. But like, um, having seen the original of Harakiri, it's not. Um, it's not meant to be a, this is a crazy film with flaming oxes and yeah. death traps and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's literally about a guy who goes into a courtyard as a samurai, uh, I think actually a ronin, um, so a masterless yeah. samurai, yeah. who for various reasons is threatening to commit harakiri seppuku, is, was the original Japanese yeah. name of the original film, yeah. um, or ritual suicide, um, which would in turn inflict dishonor amongst the I can't remember the exact political structure but you know mm. the the head of you know where he's visiting and so there's this attempt this to get keep this guy from killing himself yeah. um while he's positioned there and so it's a it's a very formal kind of unfolding of drama that's yeah. very different <clears throat> from you know 126 minutes of relentless sword play or something like yeah, that yeah. so um it's a real hard one for me to gauge, but um, there's no way I'm missing it. Uh, what about for you, Hugh? Uh, probably equally at the top of my list are Damsels in Distress and The Deep Blue Sea. So basically, your film um, to start with D. I'm all about the D, yeah. Maybe <laughs> yeah, Damsels in Distress but... looks really interesting. <laughs> Damsels in Distress is, has been getting some pretty bad reviews in, in some parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, have I, you seen Whit Stillman films before? Are you a Whit Stillman I've fan? I've seen all of Whit Stillman's films, which right. is not hard because he's only made three. <laughs> yeah. So um, his first film was called Metropolitan. It was made in 1990, and it's essentially... This, he, is, this he, is literally what Hugh, Hugh grew up on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> At the uh, hospital. <laughs> no, anyway, so Metropolitan. Uh, so Metropolitan. Yeah. Um, it is... I saw someone last year at Christmas time say it was their favourite Christmas movie. And that's weird, because it's not actually a Christmas movie. Really? It just happens at Christmas time. Right. But it has this really nice kind of atmosphere to it. Um, it's it's about these, these collegiate... college-age kids... Um, who Stillman calls the Upper Haute Bourgeoisie, or the UHB. It's this dumb name that they give themselves. And his films are all about the dialogue. His films are about this kind of... Yeah, yeah. People speak in a way where, you know, you could insert parenthetical phrases, and people speak in entire paragraphs at once. And It's, an, it's incredibly stilted, incredibly clever dialogue. It's very clever dialogue. Like, I, I, um, I mean, my re- f- fondest memories of last... The last days of, last disco, days of disco, yeah. Where um, Chris Eichmann, I think it was, saying like, "I'm the guy, kind of guy who can take no for an answer." <laughs> and there's all these sorts of discussions of pop culture and what it. Scrooge like, McDuck is sexy. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, so Metropolitan was 1990. Um, he made one about three or four years after that called Barcelona, which is not anywhere near as good. Um, Chris Eichmann has been in. All three of those films. He was in the Last Days of Disco as well, and Last Days of Disco is probably my favourite of, of Stillman's films. Um, and so it's been thirteen years since he's made a film, and he's come back with this, and it's been getting yeah, it's been getting mixed notices in the states. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And as I as I mentioned before, Greta Gerwig is in it. She's come up from from Mumblecore, and she was in Greenberg, which yeah. was. Easily one of the best films of 2008. Oh, and, um, 
pistols at dawn. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And the other one I, that is at the top or top of my list is Terence Davies' The Deep Blue Sea. Um, Terence Davies hasn't made a film since about 2007 or eight, I think, when he made a documentary about Liverpool. About the Manchester. Is, is Liverpool. Time in the City. Is that the Time one? in the City. It's definitely Liverpool. Liverpool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time. Thinking of control. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so he makes these these very lyrical, romantic, deeply romantic films. Um, mm. One of his templates for the Deep Blue Sea, I think, from having read the press notes, was um, Brief Encounter. Oh, this, oh, is the, this is the Rachel Weisz film, film, isn't it? Sorry, what? This is the Rachel Weisz film, isn't it? Rachel Weisz is in this. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. based on a Terence Rattigan play from nineteen fifty-one or fifty-two, something okay. like that. Um, and it's been filmed once before, but basically in the late fifties, and mm. as a as a film play, mm. it really wasn't too much more than that. Um, now, the only other Davies film I've seen is House of Mirth, which was fine. But, right, I um, haven't seen that. I've heard people rave about that. Really? Yeah, and yeah. I didn't get it. I, I okay, it was okay. Seen, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was that was my thing. But I've heard people rave about. Um, Distant Voices Still Lives and some which of the other really, Terrence really Davies good. films which I haven't yeah. seen Distant Voices Still Lives is the only other one I've seen okay. um, but he made Distant Voices Still Lives in about 1988 or 89 and then The Long Day Closes which was about his own childhood um, okay, I haven't seen that one not a documentary it was, you know, it was a fictive version of his own childhood yeah. and then um, made a film in America I think his only film in America so far called The Neon Bible in about 1995, which looks really interesting, but it's really hard to find. Hmm. Um, and so I think this is his first film in a little while. Um, well, since the time in the city. fiction film. I mean, because Time in the City was, yeah. a, was a documentary, so this is his first fiction film, probably since The House of Mirth, hmm. which was 2000. Um, yeah, I mean, I just... I'm, also I'm really looking forward piece. to... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think all of his films are period pieces. I don't think right. he's 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 kind of obsessed with the forties. I think, yeah, or 40s yeah. and 50s. Um, and you can see that in *Of Time in the City*, which is mm. just this majestical um, love letter to the city of Liverpool, mm. um, which I think was also a World Cinema Showcase, or maybe it was maybe it was a festival three or four years ago. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, there is something else in here that I'm looking forward to as well. Well, you're looking forward to. I'll mention Urbanized, which is uh, Gary Hustowitz's most recent film. Um, he's an interesting. Well, this is the end of his design trilogy. He made uh, Helvetica and came to the New Zealand Film Festival mm-hmm. a few years ago with that, which is a fantastic documentary about a font. Yeah. Um, and I love that film. <clears throat> and that was um, 2007. And then... is that okay? Yeah. And then Objectified, uh, which has never played in New Zealand, no. but uh, which I've seen. Um, and it's not as successful. It's um, because the the genius of Helvetica is taking this very specific thing yeah. and looking through the universe of font design yeah. Yeah, yeah. through it. Whereas objectified, but it looked like it was just interviews with Jonathan Ives. It's not. It's ninety minutes <laughs> of whoa, Apple. They make some cool products. Yeah. Whoa, these are you know. And it's just it's just the idea of industrial design is such a big thing that yeah. it's kind of like. It's just a bit of a primer of the whole thing, and so urbanized is so going his, even even further in scope. Just to yeah, design it's, as a whole it's, thing is it's a bit. Um, it could go either way. Yeah. I mean, it could just be too general to have much of anything to grasp onto, or it may be that he's combined the less what he you know taken from with a previous film something that's unifying. And I I I I mean, urban design is a fascinating topic to me. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to see a film about it done right and. Mm. 
Um, you know, he's he's a smart filmmaker. I think that Objectified was just um, ultimately a broad topic, and I'm hoping that this one brings it back around. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I should mention is uh, Mental Notes, which has been getting fantastic yeah, advance notices. Well, yeah. um, a New Zealand documentary uh, about... What, yeah, describe the battle yeah. days of New yeah. Zealand. Um, and it looks great. It looks like it interviews five people who um, came came through mm-hmm. those institutions and, and came out the other side. And I, and I think there's kind of a bit of... Obviously a lot of kind of emotional negative feeling about those places um mm. and, and i mean there's always been a lot of controversy about sort of psychiatric treatment and what have you um for me it, it's fascinating because those were institutions like sunnyside like um, cherry farm that are mentioned in the thing that i had those were places i heard of as a cho- as a kid as like a, as a as a um preteen um that we used to you know, as cruel kids make fun of people, ah, oh, you're a cherry farmer kind of thing. Um, I, that's one down in South Island, right, down yeah. living in Invercargill. Uh, and so the, these are references from my childhood that I've heard of mm. that's kind of disparaging, but for a reason, you know, that held a kind of... It was a cliche. A, it was yeah, yeah, a, a, kind negative of a, a negative mystical kind of association that I never really understood. Mm. Um, and so it holds a kind of very sort of strong interest for me from that point of view. Um, okay. And I, I've heard a couple of people um, give it quite strong reviews from uh, locally um, recently. So yeah, um, mm. looks like it could be quite good. Yeah, there's a couple of Korean action flicks as well. Uh, the Frontline, which is a yeah, military yeah. one, and uh, War of the Arrows, which Arrows, I, yeah, I, I know good. has played in the states and uh, gotten reasonably good notices there. Mm. Um, and then also the uh, Woody Allen documentary, which is uh, playing in its three-hour-long cut, which should be yeah. a uh, rather. Uh, Which would be a generous long... uh, serving, but um, yeah. perhaps worthwhile. Yeah. Well, uh, as I understand, they couldn't get the theatrical cut. He said, uh, Robert, uh, the director Robert Weed, um, made it for PBS, and it was about three and a bit hours long. And he cut it down to theatrical length for you know distribution yeah. at festivals like ours. And they couldn't get it in time, so they've got the full three-hour thing. Which is quite an undertaking. As I understand it, it's in two parts. The first part is sort of his early stand-up stuff and his early films that he, he you know, doesn't like anymore. He <laughs> um, really, really doesn't like them. He didn't he, even he like them when he made Stardust Memories. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, and that was 1980. Yeah, that was like so. a short while after he made them. Um, the fascinating thing about him as a filmmaker is that he never watches his own films again, ever. Mm. So he'll just make something. And by the time Midnight in Paris came out at Cannes, he had already... I've been quite far into filming Bob to Cameron or whatever the hell it's called now. It's got from Paris with Love uh, or something. No, Rome, 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 Rome Love. Love. Yeah, yeah, but that's. I mean, I I've been a Woody Allen fan for way back, and that was always his thing. I, you know, on Friday he'd finish the sound mix, and on Monday he'd go sit down at his typewriter and work on the next one. He yeah. Said, yeah, just always looked at it as a day job. And actually, that's, I've I've, yeah. I've seen that. Um, I've heard that quite a bit from from uh, a number of filmmakers that, I, and I guess. Uh, I've got some friends who are musicians as well, not like you, Doug, but who have made albums, <laughs> albums and whatever. Um, and it's such April twelfth, whammy bar. Sorry, it's, it's such an intense um, thing making a creative project, and you're so keyed into it that by the end, you've listened or watched the thing so many times and played it to people in kind of a kind of a what do you think of this kind of capacity that 
by the time it's been released, you've done the kind of release parties and opening nights and all that kind of thing. That's all you want to know of it um, for mm. a long time. Mm. Um, and like, I, I heard an interview with um, Signe Lumet off um, the Dog Day Afternoon DVD uh, where he, eventually, he, I think he said, oh, man, I haven't seen this for 20-odd years. And, and Ridley Scott was the same with Blade Runner. Um, he'd had some issues, but then he kind of said, oh, well, I haven't sat down and watched it. Mm. A lot of directors, I think, have that thing where you get so sort of stuck into it and you've seen it so many times by the time it actually gets released you go to the opening night thing and then you can't bear to mm. you're in a different space with it you can't mm. look at it like a viewer watching it <laughs> yeah I could t- mm. I, I mean in regards to my I mean I could talk about this at great length but this the short version is that you know you're you're seeing all the sacrifices and all the yeah things that could have happened or you're looking at a scene and you're thinking that somebody was yelling outside that we had to get off that location in 15 minutes yeah and there's all those things or you know that you wanted to get i mean this this doesn't specifically apply to me but you want to get one track for this and you couldn't Mm. so you get another and 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 it's so hard to see for what it is you know and imagine what it would be like to a viewer who is coming at it with nothing yeah so um and and yeah and it, it's just a question of why you're doing it, you know? I mean, um, so... Um, I think usually you're doing it to get it off your yeah chest, and then at the end it's like... It's off, and you move on to the next thing. Okay, um, two other films I thought I'd mention, like a lot of those ones that you've already mentioned are ones that are top of my list. Two others that had uh, particular interest for me is uh, one called Letters to Father Jacob... Um, which is a, a, a did, did the name grab you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, anything that mentions Jacob is quite uh, quite uh, I find compelling. Um, <laughs> no, um, it, it, I just found it a very interesting um, kind of write up about um, about a lady who you know gets pardoned from this prison sentence and and then um, goes to live with a priest and that whole kind of bizarre kind of thing. But also being in Finnish and 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 having heard a little bit of um, Scandinavian history from friends from over that way and, and, and thinking that would be an interesting thing uh, to to hear about. And plus it's not a not a particularly kind of usual situation to have a film about, so that was that seemed like it would be quite interesting. Mm. It seemed um, like it might be in that kind of conversations yeah. with my gardener, kind of like pleasant Rialto film kind of uh, vein. I, I, Maybe am I am I being harsh? I probably I think am you being I think harsh. you are. Like, although I did <laughs> that like, wouldn't be new. Although I did like, I did like conversations with the gardener. Um, I never saw it. But I, I just like judging films that I'm never going to see. <laughs> but I, I think this this seems a little more surreal. A little, well, not surreal, but a, a little less usual and mm. a little more from from that description. Just, it sounds harsh, a bit harsher. Yeah, yeah. A harsh. And, yeah, a little more awkward. I don't know. You hear a lot about stuff uh, if you're like us and you and and you're interested in film and you and you're following conversations overseas where these things are being developed or um, or they've come out already. Um, you hear a bit about quite a few films, but I always find it interesting reading through the program blind. I, I don't go looking for a lot of trailers. I don't read up a lot of things first. I read the entire thing through. Um, same for the film festival. Um, and just sort of have a response to the write-up that there is that the film festival gives, um, and mm. there's just a certain phrase that sort of stands out, or or a combination of things like that one. It's Finnish. There's mm. a priest and some woman out of prison or whatever. You know, that's what's right. a bizarre well, combination. We briefly we briefly mentioned Terry earlier, and that was one for for you and I last year, yeah, especially yeah. for me that I just picked out and I thought I haven't heard 
anything at all about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I knew a little bit about the filmmaker. Um, as yeah, I did Jacobs. as well. I, um, I'd heard his name, but I, did, I hadn't seen him in his films. Um, I saw um, a short that he made. Okay. And that, that was about it. Um, yeah. That was really interesting. Um, yeah. And then there was um, John C. Riley um, <laughs> in the mix. Yeah, um, I mean, it, with that, it wasn't so much the blurb, it was just kind of... Yeah, there's a number of factors. Of. It's kind yeah, of the, yeah. the, the novel, novelty factor. And that was fantastic. Yeah. I really um, liked it. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 there are a number of films that I pick in a program that just appeal for me because of the mm. write-up and the combination of factors. And the other one for me out of this one that we haven't already mentioned is a French film called uh, Presumed Guilty, which is a fictional feature about a man who's wrongly accused for child molestation, I believe. Um and that uh, that was something I remember reading some books about or, or, or um, articles about in the 80s where there was this big sort of scare period around that sort of thing um, about um, when social services in New Zealand and various other countries were changing and so there was this scare factor about men being wrongly accused for this kind of thing and how could you trust the testimony of a child? Not unlike that whole kind of... <coughs> Satanic, satanic panic, ritual, ab- yeah, yeah. ritual abuse sort of thing that became big and that you know we talked about in House of the Devil um, yeah so so that kind for of for those who've listened to all our podcasts yeah. <laughs> you might remember eight months yeah. ago when we talked about House of the Devil um, <laughs> see I have listened to all of them and, <laughs> and you still don't remember don't and, remember that specific lengthy discussion about and, satanic uh, it was a classic you're yeah, missing yeah, yeah. out <laughs> anyway so that presumed guilty um, appealed to me for that reason and so those are two others that and from the program that no, stand pres- out presumed guilty stood out for uh, me as well the Vendetta Folk um, had mentioned it on Twitter is being a particularly, um, I think she said it was the strongest film she'd seen in the previous year or something like that. It's one they're distributing? Mm. They're, yeah, so take that with a grain of salt. Because, <laughs> you know, they, all right, they're sub-distributing. I, I don't know the exact relationship, but still. I'm just um, joking because they distribute some really good films. No, so. but, it, but it's telling because, you know, like, for instance, um, and this kind of segue into, um, as we wrap up our World Cinema Showcase and talk about some of the films you might see mm. in other things, um, there's two films that Madman released for last week, for instance. Uh, yeah. The Hunter and The Raid. <sighs> and um, The Hunter, I think they mentioned on Twitter like two or three times. And The Raid, they mentioned <laughs> two or three hundred times. times yeah. um, and I haven't <clears throat> seen The Hunter, so I don't know how it is. But I can te- testify that, you know, The Raid is a fantastic film. And, um, you know, and that and that's something to keep in mind with these distributors that, you know, they may, obviously they're, you know, running a business, but... It's a business. It's a labor of love, and they're yeah. also human beings. And, and at the end of it, film. you know, yeah. when they and yeah. and they, there may be all sorts of interests that control what they get to show or not to get to show. Mm. And you know, you can be like, oh, well, they're just you know this corporation that's saying what we want to do. But Invested in fact, interest. you know, they're often like two yeah. or three guys. <laughs> they're yeah, just yeah, like yeah. doing this. And um, and certainly in the case of the raid, I mean, that was a film that has lived up to every ounce of hype that it's yeah. gotten. It's gotten mm-hmm. a lot of hype, but. I, was, I, I, was, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about it too much before I saw it. We were lucky to kind of get to an early, early kind of... Um, it wasn't even did you a miss me- the Toronto reviews? Because the Toronto reviews were amazing. Oh, I think I yeah. read maybe two of them and I was like, yeah. okay, this sounds good. I'll probably I, never I see them. it. Yeah. But the, the, the fascinating thing about this, just the sub-point talking about distributors, is that Mad Men was able to get this and they were able to release it the day before the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. So fantastic. we got it 
March twenty third or whatever it was. It comes out on the US. Comes in the US on the Friday. Yeah, and so it's only gonna... opened in six cities in the states. Like most cities yeah, in so the states still haven't like... had a chance to see and it. You know, there's a guy I follow um, on Twitter from Indonesia who was like, "You get it two days before me," and I live in. Indonesia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that as well. That we got it before. Um, um, I think we got it like one day after the UK or something, or maybe four days after the UK. Yeah, the UK um, had it a few UK days had before it first. us. But this is just it's just yeah. a really. Unusual kind of circumstance, but we, yeah. we, we get a film. I mean, it happens. Yeah, we get it more and more often now. Really, yeah. so we're getting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But let, we're getting away from the importance of the, of this film. Oh, the the cult, said it's cult fucking cult awesome. The <laughs> relentless yes. fucking raid. Yeah. You need to see the raid, please. Yeah. Um, if you have any heart for action. Um, See, I don't even like action movies all that much, and I just I love every second of this. You hate action films? See the raid. <laughs> If you love it, it was about see the raid. It's, what it's about three minutes of setup, so they set up the story, and I then know, it's like a hundred plus minutes of just relentless. No, I'd say it's almost like twenty three minutes of setup. No, not no, even. Well, well not setup. No, okay, okay. by setup we mean bullets instead of fists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's that kind quite, of yeah. Or, or so suspense yeah. and, and waiting to take a shot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Beating four no, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the slow moving stuff in this would be the heart stopping suspense in any other film, <laughs> and the this stuff. The slow moving stuff is the credits actually. <laughs> Everything else is just all over the place. Oh, you see, I would I would call this distilled action, just yeah. the pure essence of action. It's fantastic. It's so well done, and and and, and I mean, there's variety. There's guns. There's knives. There's fists and feet. <laughs> And there's some really amazing. There's refrigerators. Let's not forget the refrigerators. They put something inside a refrigerator yeah. and it explodes. Yeah. One of the things I really like about this film, though, is that um, a lot of more recent action films, I think, um, try really hard to get a decent plot to get a story that um, mm. that's com- somewhat more com- complex than you might expect from, say, an '80s actioner. Um, and sometimes they work, but for the majority of them, they kind of don't really work and then you just enjoy the action and kind of pass mm. by the plot the raid doesn't try to do that it has a really simple setup has a plot that manages to fit in a couple of twists even but it's very constrained very tight mm. um, and it works really well and so although it's like full on action you actually get a story that works mm. and it's simple but it works and yeah I, I really enjoyed that what I really loved about it. it was was the camera work there were just some insanely good shots oh, there yeah, yeah. one shot where the guy where a guy jumps down through a hole in the floor and the camera actually just jumps, jumps down, down with him, him straight behind him and it's just yeah. this really amazing how many medical support staff did they have Doug? there were 14 <laughs> medics and 4 massage therapists that was I got done with the raid and I didn't even tweet that I liked it I'm just like there are 14 medics and four massage therapists. That's all you need to know about the raid. You know, they didn't have five medics. They didn't have seven medics. They had 14. 14. And I have no question they were needed. Every, uh, everybody was doing their own stunts, including the camera crew. I, I got a text from somebody right after it was done. And I'm like, I don't know how anybody survived that film. And she didn't mean the character. She meant the actors. And, <laughs> and that's, yeah, it's... Um, and so... It's a good time. It's 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 a good and bad time at New Zealand theaters right now because yeah. there's actually this bumper crop of stuff. Oh, you know, yeah. we've had a quiet patch, not necessarily a quiet patch. You know, there's some Academy Award stuff coming through, uh. but suddenly we've got like this raid of like, well, the raid and all these other action yeah. films. You know, another this, film that this, I saw this, recently. This movie about film that are people that are hungry and play games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this really good film about um, <laughs> about. Um, I think it was the sequel to um, Winter's Bone, maybe? Oh, yeah. was it Battle Royale? Yeah. 
but apart from those films, um, there's also a film... the kids killing each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, for kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but see it in the in the South in America. Yeah, know? but then there's <laughs> also um, the opening on Thursday. Amidst all of this, after uh, only eleven months after mm. it opened its native country. Um, so in point of contrast months. to the raid, a short eleven months yeah. was um, attack the motherfucking block. Attack the block. They can't so, put motherfucking in everything. It's not well, no, under, under you can't motherfucking put, African. You skies. can't put it in everything. <laughs> no, it's not under motherfucking African skies, and it's not Anna motherfucking Tolia. But it is the motherfucking raid, and it is attack the motherfucking block. <laughs> I, I think we can get consensus. Have you seen, I attack, the seen attack the block? So I okay. can't. I can't come oh, you haven't see it. Oh. Yeah, I haven't. So I didn't go to the. You uh, you can tell you yeah, can tell that you haven't seen that because you're questioning are you some motherfucking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, how good was this film? I mean, we've talked about it before on the podcast. Attack the, the block, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah it, it's not the best film of your life, but it's pretty damn good, and it's 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 on on the nail um, for. Uh, I mean, it has it includes social commentary. Yeah, out of nowhere in this kind of genre film set in uh, like an it's an alien genre film yeah, step back so South London yeah, so we got a bunch Brixton, of Brixton estate so it's an estate like council flats yeah council yeah. council flats and it's set <clears throat> the block is the estate block of flats yeah and we've got we've got a bunch of young punks and, hoodies and, young hoodies yes yes and um, we've got a white girl who yeah. gets mugged by them they, yeah they start um, the film mugging this woman and then they end up being the heroes yeah, um, which of, of film. And, and which to be honest, um, I had um, I've only seen it uh, the once where we both saw it at Marathon, yeah, yeah. and I had a really hard time for the first half of the film because they're asking yeah. these people who had mugged this perfectly innocent woman, and then the audi- the film is asking, "Hey, now these are your protagonists. Protagonists, yeah. can you identify with these people?" And it's just like. No. <laughs> Any other questions? And um, and to its credit, um, writer director Joe Cornish is as intelligent about understanding all the difficulties yeah. of that as we were. And so, by the end of it, um, you know, the the without denying the awfulness of what those characters have done. done. Yeah. You go on the journey with them where you understand and sympathize with them in a way that doesn't necessarily forgive them for what, what they, they have done, done yeah. but also gives you more sympathy than perhaps the system has for, for them. them. Yeah. And that was a fascinating... And, and that sounds like a fucking Darden Brothers film, uh, except where, that it's an alien. Yeah, except that they're kicking film. ass. <laughs> you know, that they're kicking fucking ass, and like, it's relentlessly yeah. entertaining. Aliens in the movie? Yeah. yeah. Did we not mention the aliens? The aliens arrive from the very first scene. They're what's attacking the the block. The They're what's attacking yeah, the block. Yeah. You get these aliens, okay. except that it's not like a, a real. It's not like the host where you've got this elaborately designed creature that's coming out. It's not mm. like um. I love the character design of the aliens. Yeah, yeah. It's really block, good. Though. It's really good. It, it's re- it's a it's brilliant low budget kind yeah, of design. Yeah. Um, they do it really well, and and they create a nice kind of sort of I guess narrative flow for these creatures um, that fits into the story nicely and allows them to kind of go through this estate block kind of thing. Um, and they don't do that whole kind of thing where you kind of except for the first instance 
they don't do this thing where you kind of glimpse the creature and then you kind of get a flash of it and then that happens for you know two thirds of the film until you finally get confronted. But so after, it's not like, after, that, not like that terrible film, Monsters. No, after the, <laughs> after the first thing, after the first <clears throat> encounter where you kind of just get this sudden flurry of action, you don't really know what's happened. Mm. They're straight into them. They show them roaming around and and yeah, it's cool. Mm. Yeah. It's very it's very cool. Um, but they're just kind of like a uh, they're almost like a. A character device, really. Yeah. The aliens. Yeah, I mean they're 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 they a bit, uh, they're a bit about... unknowable. And, yeah. I mean, not unlike aliens. Yeah. In that you don't really know that much about yeah. them other than these these implacable protagonists. Yeah. But yeah instead yeah. of being in their homeland, we're there in our homeland to the extent that we're from South it's London, London. <laughs> which is not very. <laughs> but um. But yeah, it's still... I wear a hooded top at, on occasion. Uh, yes, I, I wear the hoodie too, bro. <laughs> He's got one on now. Yeah, it's actually, with my head in <laughs> He's going to kick some alien ass any moment here. Um, uh, anyway, so we're drunk and babbling, but the point is that I think that um, somehow we've got we've been fortunate in that two really unlikely films have snuck into the box office here. One uh, with the raid somehow yeah. coming out before most of the rest yeah. of the world, and one of the Attack of the Block coming out after the rest of the, the world. world. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, they're both in danger of really being overlooked, because yeah. we're at a time where, you know, you've got Hunger Games, Hunger Games you've got yeah, Safe is... House lingering in there after however many Safe weeks. House is still in theaters? Believe yep. it or not. Yep. Uh, 21 Jump Street, um, This Means War, all these all these films with guns. And, and high profiles. Yeah, yeah. and and meanwhile... Um, you have these two films with no stars. And that, were a bit, mm. and that are better than all the rest. And are absolute crowd pleasers. Yeah. I mean, these aren't the once upon a times in yeah, Anatolia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not you know, these aren't Turin horses. They're fantastic you know, they're, they're absolute, mm, yeah. like, I mean, I'll give the caveat that for, as an American, I only understood half of the dialogue in Attack the Block at best. <laughs> uh, it might have been the, the volume <laughs> levels at Hollywood, but... Um, not. I got most of it. Okay, yeah. So it's, it may just be an American thing. So for you know everybody who lives here, they shouldn't have that problem. Um, so yeah, so yeah, get saying. out to the World Cinema Showcase, see some movies, and then you know go back to your local theater and see, see some movies. Hunger Games will be playing see in a the, couple weeks. Yeah. You can go see it then, and definitely see um, the raid. I mean, uh, ca- one caveat: it's an Indonesian with uh, subtitles. But you, but, <laughs> is there anybody who's going to but, listen but to an like hour and a half of us? And bam, but, but, yeah, the but, but it speaks like the Batman. universal. As someone said, it speaks the universal language of punches and kicks. Mm. There was a um, there was a uh, quote from Gillian Jacobs of Community who compared it to a uh, kick puncher. The movie, which uh, for any Community fans, uh, nice. yeah, um, but. Um, yeah, it's, if, if anyone has ever loved an action movie, they should go see The Raid. Oh, yeah, for and sure. If it, and if anybody has ever loved... And God, I mean, Attack the Block, I almost feel like, is is the amazing R-rated Spielberg movie yeah, it's like that he never made. It, it's like Goonies it with a body a count. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it does it, sound a lot like those. Yeah, those. Well, well, I thought, when I started those watching it, I'm like... Oh uh, yeah, this is gonna be like a light-hearted, sentimental thing, and then somebody gets fucked up, and you're like, "Oh yeah, nope." <laughs> um, All right, that's yeah. So that yeah. so that's us, and uh, yeah, I think see we might some come movies? back with a with a mid world cinema showcase. Quick yeah, well, thing, well, depending we, on what we see, what we if we see. get a chance, then maybe yeah. we'll do a record um, and and even go quicker than the usual month to. Uh, 
let you know what uh, what you should rush out to see in the yeah, remaining yeah. weeks of it or what have you. Um, you lucky souls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good anyway, night. Anyway, it's been fun. Thanks. See ya.